Hello, everybody, and welcome to the June 28th, 2017 edition of Weekly Manga Recap. It's Nick and Chris here to talk about some manga. Some manga? Talking about some manga, Nick? Manga. And some chowder? Manga! Some manga and chowder? Manga. <laughs> that is one of those episodes of Simpsons that is... It, it, it's weird to say criminally underrated, because I feel like there aren't many that are, like, underrated... But that is one of the ones that, like, sneaks up on you when you watch the whole thing. And, like, that episode is way too funny all the way through. Uh, I it, it was so weird because, like, Simpsons has always kind of been this very, I don't know, I guess you could say kind of, like, comforting thing. Cause it's, it's one of those things that's, like, it's just always around. You can always kind of, to get you maybe at least a chuckle here and there. But then occasionally you look back at, you know, the first, I don't know, six, seven seasons... And you're like, Jesus Christ, this show was just like the funniest goddamn thing. <laughs> no it's, wonder people hate news. <laughs> it's, it's weird because there's, there's people I know now who, who have grown up at a time where sit like when good Simpsons was around, it just wasn't a thing for them. And they only know the new stuff. And you try to explain it to them like, no, like classic Simpsons is great. They're like, yeah, I mean, sure. I mean, I don't think I'm going to watch it though. It's just like, no, you don't understand. It was the best thing ever. It is, and it holds up. Most of the jokes are still really funny. There's uh, an episode. I forget what the entire thing is about, but there's a sequence where like Skinner is like coming after Bart while Bart's playing hooky. And for some reason, Skinner just turns into like the goddamn Terminator during this whole sequence. <laughs> he like walk, he, uh, like Bart does something to like, I don't know, uh, he gets across like a stream and then collapses the, the bridge. So Skinner just like walks into the water and then just co- walks back out the other side. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there there were so many just like perfect moments of like references and things like that too it's the same episode too it's the chowda episode and that's also it the, is it, it's also the one where skinner is that great line where he's like why there are no kids at the 4-h club either am i so out of touch no no it's the no, children it's who are wrong <laughs> <laughs> uh i can i can quote way too many simpsons things to people and then i well uh, it's been around for as long as we've been alive so <laughs> That is true. It's actually older than I am. Is it? Yeah. I thought it I thought it would start I thought it started in eighty nine. I mean I guess if you go into like the, the Tracy Ullman show, then it's like when it kinda gets right, sure, yeah. but I essentially I have no memory of a time without Simpsons. I remember the Simpsons more right. than my family being together as a cohesive unit, essentially. I have no memories of non-divorced parents, but I have memory, and I don't have memories of a time without Simpsons either. So The Simpsons, you know, that actually brings me to a tangent that I shouldn't get into, but it breaks me. Go right ahead. I got to go for a second. So, <laughs> And this is actually really sad once right. I feel like I say it too, but there's a, a thing that keeps happening in The Simpsons recently where I catch like images of it. It'll show like Homer Marge this season are going to get legally separated. And that, for some reason, breaks my heart because I didn't have a, like a united uh, family in my parents, but my parents had split up. So the most stable marriage I had seen to this point, essentially as a child, was through Homer and Marge. So it just keeps breaking my heart to see that like the storyline of Simpsons goes on is like to just continue like seeing how far of a schism they can create between them without fully breaking them up. And I realized that's why a lot of things in my life are that sad. Because I can relate more to together fictional cartoon couples than my own real parents. If Nick weren't here, or Nick were here rather, I would let the podcast turn over to him as I 
stare off into this corner and just try to hold back the tears. But because he's not, I am forced to continue on air as though this realization has not come to me. And now I am desperately searching for some way to change the topic. Oh, hey, uh, Twitch is talking about the hashtag my first sub. So what was your guys' first sub at uh, Subway? I assume it was some kind of cold cut. Oh, God, Nick, come back! Yeah, I think we're good. I'll just push this down like everything else, and we're going to be fine. Which is weird. It's the transition would have worked actually really easily, too. When we're talking about Simpsons, to the fact that we're going to be discussing a manga recommendation this week that is another comedy. Uh, it's not quite The Simpsons, though. It is actually a four-page Koba uh, series called Tomo-chan no... And then it's no. gone for me. Tomo-chan wa Ononoko. There you go. I'm here. I got really uh, sad yeah. when you were gone. I'm sorry. For, yeah, for Koma series. Um, it's basically a webcomic. It's like... Not like the, you know, kind of Korean ones that we've done in the past, uh, like, you know, Tower of God, the, you know, long page format, but just, uh, very much just, you know, online four panel comic strip in, you know, the vertical format that, uh, all, pretty much all four come up are, you're gonna see. And, uh, you know, pretty simple, uh, basic comedic premise, which is that there is this tomboy in high school named uh, Tomo, mm -hmm. and she has a crush on her childhood friend, June. And she basically, I think even before the series begins, she confesses to him, and he doesn't get it. Like, he just doesn't process it at all. Because it's not that he sees her as a boy, but he sees her as a guy. As you know, like his his best guy friend that he pals around with, yeah, and does you know very heterosexual things with. So he he's stuck in that mindset when you were too young to recognize there is a difference between boys and girls, and it was just your good buddy, and essentially. Mm -hmm. So while she's grown up and like grown feelings for him, romantic feelings, he's just like, hey, my best buddy, what's going on, bro, 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 bro. Bro, it's, you want to go out and punch stones like we usually do, bro? And the thing is, she's not against going out and punching stones, but she just, she really wants him to recognize that she has feelings for him. It's an interesting dynamic that they have, and it gets developed more and more, because this is a series that's been running. It's a, it, it has, like, I think every weekday updates, I want to say. Um, so it's been going for a few years, and there are, oh, close to 600 chapters, which are each just, you know, a page long, mm -hmm. and generally follow the, you know, like, four-panel setup punchline uh, format that you get from, you know, most comic strips. But there are some, there is some character development that happens during it, mostly in terms of the way that, that they see each other does very gradually change. And uh, you see, for example, that yeah, Tomo really likes the relationship that they currently have, but she wants more as well. Mm -hmm. And uh it's kind of one of those things where it's like, she would really like it if they could, you know, go out and beat up a bunch of gangsters with their super karate tra training and pal around and stuff. But then the she also wants them to hold hands and walk in the park. 
Yeah. So. There's a large part, uh, since it's a comedy series, there's basically the, the, uh, personality joke that gets kind of put into it. Like we mentioned with Simpsons, a lot of jokes in Simpsons are kind of based around the fact that Homer's a well-meaning intentional, uh, well-meaning as intentions, but very stupid person. In this, the joke is that Tomo is somebody with feelings for June, but she's also very much sort of got a lot of boyish traits to her. And that's kind of part of the reason that she has difficulties kind of getting through to June on certain ways. And then in many ways, it's also just June finds whatever reason he can to just not get it through his head. There's a point, um, there's a joke early on in one of them where she decides to grow her hair out because he hear, she hears from him how he likes girls with long hair. So she grows her hair out and is like, hey, June, what do you think of my hair? He's like, I really like it. Makes you look like a wandering warrior. And she's just like, God yeah, you damn look it. like a fucking Ronin. Badass. <laughs> yeah, he's like, that's so cool, dude. And it's like... But then you look at her, it's like, well, she did grow it out, but she didn't do anything to stop yeah. it. So she does look like that. So. <laughs> yeah, she basically just has like the wild kind of spiky bed hair all the time, so she just grew that out longer, and it's the same thing. So yeah, it's 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 got that kind of uh, like character gimmick joke that it puts into it. And I was surprised actually how much mileage they managed to kind of get out of it before they had to start like coming up with new scenarios. Because for a long time, that's just the joke. Every page is some joke about how uh, Tomo, despite doing something, isn't being seen as a woman to June. Rinse and repeat. Like there's some kind of misunderstanding. Like he'll slap her on the butt, and he thinks it's nothing because he's just like, "Hey, bro, what's going on?" Which is weird. I don't. Is that a thing? Anyone? I mean, I I, I was a guy. I am a guy. I I am a guy. Thing, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I've never had that thing where I've walked by like a friend of mine, but I was like, hey, "What's going on there, chief?" Slap him in the ass. It's like I, I was like, I, I might get football. It happens in that maybe in sports. And they are right. a couple of jocks because they're you know. They're, you know, karate heads. Now, so. Nick, I'll tell you, though, in my science Olympiad classes after school, while I was building bottle rockets, I can assure you that none of us super tough men slapped <laughs> each other on the bottom. It's good to so, know. <laughs> I just want you all to know I love, that. I love how you were like, you're, you're, do, you're doing like your most interesting man in the world thing with your monster there. I don't know. I slap Ben on the bottom. When, <laughs> when I'm at my science Olympiad class, studying the different deciduous trees in Pennsylvania, I don't do it. Um, and uh, yeah, a lot of it, like yeah, like you said, is very just simple character focused jokes because you've got Tomo, who's the tomboy. You've got June, who is this just ignorant muscle head. And then you've got Tomo's two other friends. Uh, one is the one that she has known for a very long time. She's known her almost as long as she's known June, named Mizuzu. And Mizuzu is this very dark, uh, like I'm sure in Westerns, she would be portrayed just flat out as a goth, uh, character, very sardonic with Tomo, but is very sarcastic and she and June really don't seem to get along well at all. They've just never really gotten along. Except for one time when they briefly dated, which was an odd little story arc that happened. Huh. Um, 
Mizuzu is probably pretty easily my favorite character because uh, a lot of it, everyone else is very much just kind of goofy, and she's and she plays straight man to a lot of a lot of people, but at the same time, she has a lot of quips to make and stuff. She is uh, also very close to what I feel is like the Rory of this series. That there is one, just that girl yeah. on the side that's trying to facilitate things happening, and uh, has to deal with that one annoying dude who has feelings for her. Or just keeps trying to force it. Yeah, they they do occasionally have this guy show up named uh, Tanabe who's got a crush on her, and every, and it seems as though every time she spurns him or manipulates him, he just comes back stronger. So, um, and then you've got Carol, who basically is the Urihime to Tomos Tatsuki. Like I I I can't be the only one who would read this and doesn't see the comparisons there. Uh, you know, Tomo is this tomboyish karate expert, and Carol is especially like early Bleach Rihime. You know, uh, cause she's apparently very intelligent, but has such weird social interactions with people and is such an airhead with a weird imagination that you would not be able to tell it looking at her. Uh, she's got this perpetual, like, blank expression on her face. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, a lot of the series. Yeah. And also, she happens to be an exchange student, so she's this, blo- I think, half-Japanese, blonde. British. Uh, and uh, so, it, at the same time, she's like a blonde bombshell. Mm-hmm. Um, and most of the series consists of Tomo despairing over the fact that June doesn't see her as a woman, uh, isn't getting closer romantically, and so Mizuzu and Carol push them closer together, mostly by trying to get Tomo to act more feminine, and her being like, but this isn't me. I don't want to do this. Like, well, you, but he doesn't see you as a woman, right? Yeah? So you want to be seen as a woman? Yeah? So you should be more like a, like a woman. No! <laughs> Which is totally understandable, uh, honestly. Um... It's really difficult to talk about this kind of series, though, because it's such, you know, moments in time kind of kind of thing, as opposed to, I mean, there are story arcs in it, but they're, you know, comic strip story arcs or webcomic story arcs where they'll go on for a few weeks and then you'll just kind of move on to the next one. There's no big, huge overarching plot that happens aside from just the relationship between June and Tomo, basically. Oh, then Ansem shows up halfway through with the rest of the Heartless. <laughs> but that only lasts a couple weeks we and back, then that stops. We back, we back on Kingdom Hearts? <laughs> yeah. We're never outside of Kingdom Hearts, Nick. Oh, okay. Good to know. <laughs> We're always going to be in Kingdom Hearts. It's always just right off to the side. I'm ready to just transition to it at any point. Um, yeah, there's there's not really any long, ongoing story arcs. And I didn't get all the way through. I know you, I think, caught all the way up with it. Uh, I got through about 120, 140 chapters, you know, whatever you want to call of it. So I have a good idea of essentially how the story kind of works, but I, I imagine there are certainly points where it does start to say, like, all right, we'll deal less with just, like, making this chapter about hitting a punchline to, uh, to this, because we're going to use this as a chapter to start building towards some eventual character development. Because at the point I was, there was still some character development happening. Like, Carol was introduced into the series... As somebody who initially thinks that uh, Tomo is someone who is pining after the guy that she's engaged to. So she sees Tomo as a rival and someone she must destroy. 
and then eventually over time realizes like she she eventually finally catches a scene of Tomo being really angry at June for not seeing her as a woman. And like she's like, Oh, I get it now. You're fine. All right. our, our death our death battle is over. Goodbye. <laughs> and Tomo, of course, is just like, What was that about? <laughs> you know. Yeah. So there there certainly is a place, I feel like, down the line where those things might happen. And I'd be very I'm, I'm curious to actually see how those play out because at the point I got to, there was only one point where the story ever became somewhat serious for a moment. And I'll be honest, I was not a fan of the way it was handled. There's essentially a scene that happens wherein June and Tomo get on a bus, and Tomo is molested on the bus. And from that, then a couple chapters go about, which kind of discuss different things. And there is, like, a, a level of, like, hey, when that happens, it's not a joke. And a couple chapters afterwards, it's not particularly a joke. And it's not as though the event itself becomes a joke. It does fall into eventually jokes back to the norm of the series. But it was sort of this weirdly kind of handled thing because there was still just the undertone that this was all leading to a joke. Like, the end sort of payoff to get to this is a scene where Tomo walks home without spats on underneath her skirt and the wind blows it up. Like, it's it's something that just felt kind of just weirdly placed or not weirdly placed, but just sort of, like, weird in the whole context of the entire, like, chain of events that mm. just felt kind of off as you read it. You're just like, I feel like this could have been done differently, or maybe just not use, like, an active, like, active sexual harassment to be the conduit for all of this sort of thing. Like, it just felt too real, almost, to then be like, alright, now let's, now let's build upon this jokes about getting her out of her shorts underneath their skirt kind of thing, or whatever. It's an, it's a weird thing, cause that's one of the first things that happens that introduces this element where June doesn't see Tomo as a woman most of the time, but if he basically sees guys treating her like a woman, like, you know, they're, interested in the way that she looks or they're trying to hit on her or something like that. He suddenly gets uber protective, which is kind of funny because he doesn't understand why he's acting that way. He's like, Tomo could kick these guys' asses. What am I so worried about? You know? Um, and it is kind of weird that that is a big thing that happens because of, yeah, molestation. It's, uh, still agree with you there. By a whole, I don't know how you felt about this. I've, I've in the past said most times we've done a, 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 a comedy series as a recommendation. I usually end up being like, eh, it wasn't for me. Like, I, I don't know. There's something about, I guess, the way I've seen most, like, Japanese um, comedy comics or manga or things like that, or just Japanese comedies in general. It just hasn't clicked with me so much. But I feel like this was one of the few exceptions to that, because I found this to be a legitimately funny series most of the time. It wasn't, like, every, you know, page, whatever you want to call it, every four-panel, whatever, was hilarious. But I found myself, if I, even if I didn't laugh, I got the joke and I got the context, and I was like, this is funny, I just didn't think it's as funny as some of the other ones. Because there's some really, like, amusing ones, and ones that even play with the whole format they work with as well. Like, there's there's one where Tomo's like, Leaning back, and this is, I think, what Carol's introduced. And she's just like, I don't get, why is everybody, like, so 
like enamored when she goes around and it's like her hopping around and everything like that. And just like, boing, I, boing, boing. Yeah, like, why are all the guys so, uh, like just drawn to her? I don't get it. And like the panel pulls away and you can see she's doing dumbbell curls and she's just like, I just don't get it. What does she have that I don't? And it's just like, <laughs> oh, okay. Like it's like, it's just a good joke that they use the format to build upon too. So there's always like that where I'm like, this is just really funny. I, I totally dig this. I don't know if you had the yeah. same thought at all though. I mean, first of all, well, I did read through the whole thing, but I also read through it pretty quickly. So I was done with it uh, at some point last week. And like I said, it's got almost daily updates. And so I was actually checking back for updates uh, after I would caught up with it. So I was like, oh, I want to see, see the next one because it's uh, well, pretty reliably funny ser- uh, series. Um, it's an easy read. Uh, and... Uh, I'm actually now invested in the characters as a result of the humor in it, too. You know, the humor gets you into it, but then it, it does kind of hook you with uh, this plight that Tomo has. Um, the characters are interesting because they're very identifiable, but there's more to them than just the the kind of stereotype that you associate with the, the archetype that they represent. Um, there are some really good things that happen, like uh, there was something... There was one recently where Tomo and June go to, I think it's, I forget which one it was, but they go to a, a festival together and Tomo's all dolled up for it. She's wearing a kimono. And as they're going along, it's obvious even to her that June actually can see her as woman. And so she's like, Hey, you know, this is my chance. Like, you know, we're at this great place. Uh, the mood is right. Uh, he actually might actually get it if I confess to him at this point. But she, like, starts getting ready to do it and builds herself up to it, and then she thinks, I don't want to do this yet, because if I take this step, then what's happening right now, we can never go back to it. No matter what happens from here on out, the present will stop, and the next stage of our life will begin. And I really like the relationship we have right now. So I don't want to do that. And so first off, it's maintaining the status quo, which is frustrating. But at the same time, it's a very understandable and this, there's a complex. For someone, someone to, it's appropriate, first of all, for someone of that age to get that feeling. Like, I don't want to grow up yet, you know? Um, and that's, it's, it's, it's quite, it's quite sort of sad but understandable that she makes that decision. It's like, I don't, I don't want to let this go because I'm scared of not getting it back again, even if what awaits us is really great. So, um, Well, and also the, the same thing kind of happens, is happening a little bit with Mizuzu, where basically there are hints. First off, she might be a lesbian. I'm not sure, <laughs> but she might be. I, there have been jokes made, been, there have been jokes made about Nick's gaydar and how faulty it is. Uh, but <laughs> there's definitely an implication that Mizuzu very greatly values her relationship with Tomo. And she wants to help her friend to be happy by hooking her up with June. But at the same time, uh, and this, it's actually Carol who keeps pointing this out. It seems as though she she also doesn't really want things to change. And you could read that a few different ways. Uh, one 
one way and it's and the most obvious way would just be, well, you know, maybe she just like doesn't want to be the third wheel. Maybe she doesn't want them to get closer to each other and for things to change because that means that she might be on the outs with, with Tomo, that she might not have as, have as much time for her. But there's also an implication because I think that Mizuza actually acknowledges that at some point and is not acknowledging something else, which is just how ridiculously close she and Tomo are and how protective she is of their relationship. Yeah, I can definitely see that. It's weird. I'm going through a couple chapters right now, actually, just as we're going through this, just to kind of get a tone, a better sense for like what the tone is as it is later on. And I will certainly note most of these pages I've seen are not like they don't end on a punchline. It definitely seems to eventually reach to a point where it just becomes a more slice of life sort of series that follows them and will more often than not tell a joke in there but doesn't always do that like it's 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 telling a story with these characters and i could definitely see that and i know some people in the chat were commenting on the notion you just kind of brought up that she might have a uh uh essentially romantic feelings for her as well and there's stuff that's actually kind of seeded into the story early on that kind of plays into that as well so I could definitely see how these elements kind of take in place. They're, they grow over time, become something very interesting. Because there's a lot of just characters you meet very quickly and early on. Like, you do meet, I think it's Tomo's dad, right? Who's the karate instructor. Right. Um, so, and then uh, we didn't bring him up too much, but... Um, He's crazy. Uh, fuck, <laughs> uh, what's, what's, uh, what's our karate uh, friend's name? Mis- Misuki? Uh, Mizuki. Mizuki. Aki, sorry. So, so there's there's a couple characters that I'm sure also get extra context uh, that just kind of go on and on. Um, I, I, I don't have as much of a strong vantage point to speak in total on this series, because I know that you know more than I do about how this series goes in the long run. So I could say from my point, about, you know, 130, 100 whatever chapters in, it seems like this was a very enjoyable series that had fun characters, characters who you kind of wanted to follow, even if there wasn't a joke being done in that chapter. And that the benefit of it actually just feeling like a legitimately amusing series as well was kind of an added bonus. Um, I don't know how the premise plays out over the span of 500 or so more chapters. Mm-hmm. I don't know how the development goes between them, if it becomes so much so that it changes almost the entire tone of it, and if you came in liking what it was at the start, if you would even like it, what it becomes later on. But I can't say from where I was, I think if this is a premise that seems interesting to you, it would be worth checking out at the very least, because this is a fun series, and even though the premise kind of has some areas that I think could be explored a little bit more, I do just find, like, June and Tomo to be genuinely like likable fun characters like you have to like tomo's just energy in trying to solve things she's such a good natured person to a fault like anytime someone tries to offer a friendship she's just like sweet friends like she just has that personality and june is never he's never like antagonistically dumb you you get the idea that like maybe deep down he gets it but he just doesn't at the same time like it's like that zorro joke where he just like saw the one mermaid that was like the granny mermaid so he's just like 
I don't like he just erased that from his memory, like boop boop, and it's gone now. He's like, oh sweet, a mermaid I've seen for the first time, <laughs> you know that sort of thing. <laughs> like he just has that mentality of like it's just for whatever reason logic defied, he can't see her as a woman, and even though there is that, he's still just such a goofy idiot in his own ways that it's just it's fun seeing their dynamic kind of change, like. The chapter where he's just like, she's like, oh, I have to go to the bathroom. He's like, oh, I'll go with you. And then, like, you see, like, see them coming out of the bathroom and he has, like, a lump on his head. And he's just like, I forgot. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> I, I do also like how the, Tomo and June share the ignorance of, of normality, kind of, mm-hmm. uh, where they just don't understand that the things that they do are normal. When, um, when, because obviously, you know, Toma gets really hurt when she finds out that Mizuzu and June went on a date briefly. Uh, and like they did for like a weekend and then they were done because the, the day went so horribly. Uh, they kind of amicably, amicably parted ways. And that was because June's idea of a date was going on this ridiculous workout routine, the kind that he and Toe would normally go on, where they run for like three miles and bike and go and lift weights and, and all this shit. <laughs> and Mizuz is like desperately trying to keep pace with him. And then she, at the end of it, she's like, all right, I can't fucking do this anymore. I'm never doing this again with with him. I'm just going to break things up before I get in, in even more over my head. And she goes up to June, and June's like, eh, I don't really want to date you anymore. And he's just like, what the fuck? I got dumped. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, Tumba's like, oh, that date sounds great. He's like, no. <laughs> That's, I think, also part of it, too. It's, as you said, that both Tomo and June have a responsibility in kind of being the ignorant ones to various different parts of things. Uh, so I do think that actually is a very important element to add, because I think this would be a different story if everyone in the world got it except for June. But the fact that Tomo, as I mentioned before, she's like, I don't get why everyone likes Carol so much, not me. And, well, but, uh, and actually, she, actually, actually, to be fair to her, a lot of guys do like her <laughs> because she's got massive tits. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but there's also this element that she just, she doesn't get immediately what people are like. She, she assumes the best in them, but like two girls go to have a talk with her and are like, hey, we need to have a talk outside the gym. And she, of course, is in this mentality as someone who's like grown up kind of like a guy and like is a combat expert. She's like, she like goes to have this conversation with them. She's in a fighting stance and she's, you want to fight. That's why you asked me behind the gym, right? <laughs> yeah. They're like, no, we just, we're, we're going to go after the same guy you are. She's just like, Oh, that means oh, we have to send us in a fight, huh? <laughs> no. She's like, Oh, you guys want to go after him? Oh, I'll be able to tell you so much about what he likes. I've ripped. Oh, I wish the best for you guys. Like she just has this, she's straightforward to the same way June is. And I think that's part of kind of what makes them so funny to follow. And, like, the, the efforts they have to go through the relationship between them when you're like, God, you two are just so disgustingly compatible. Just get over it. It makes their relationship and the troubles that they have a lot more endearing because they're on that same wavelength where they're just not quite getting it. But also they're not so similar that they're, it's not, it's like one of them just wants to date their clone. You know, there are enough mm-hmm. points where, you know, Tomo just shows more awareness of things and, Jude is just so far on the other end. Uh, and I mean, there, there's a lot of stuff to talk about, but it's weird because like it, 
I don't know. There's a there's a kind of comforting regularity to it, I guess you could say, that I, I think is important for a lot of web comics to have because you know you want to be kept kind of coming back uh, with that sense of familiarity. Um, but at the same time, that means that there are a lot of moments that I think to just kind of like uh, all kind of blended together for me. Uh, that if I read, if we had talked about this, you know, for like, for example, like a day after I had read the whole thing, then I'd probably bring a lot more up. But I do give it a, a pretty strong recommendation. It's got a, for a Fork Homa series, it's got a pretty strong universal kind of sense of humor to mm. it. So many, uh, Yonkoma that I've read have just that, you know, very weird, more slapsticky Japanese sense of humor to them, or a lot of puns, yeah. or that kind of thing. That, I mean, you can say like, oh, I guess it was okay, but I just don't really get it. But this one is like, yeah, like you said, I get the joke and it's very appealing in that sense. This is, uh, just an in- independent webcomic. Uh, I think that Kodansha has published a few collected volumes the way that, you know, some successful long running webcomics do. Uh, but hey, you know, some, some, some webcomics do really catch on, uh, even in Japan. So it, it's possible that you might eventually see this actually get, uh, get licensed. Um, I, I would actually really like to see that too. Cause one thing we didn't really note is since this is like that kind of four comma or four coma sort of thing. And your, your jokes are basically in this, this burst thing of here's a, here's a chip, here's a page, here's a page, here's a page. This is really like, you know, kind of what our version of like, a Garfield or a Foxtrot or one of those things were. And I don't know about you, but I always preferred to read those in the like collected volume books, like of those that you could read. Cause that's when you yeah. could just binge through them and enjoy them. And if there was a narrative to it overarching in a Garfield story, I'm sure I would love to see that too. There's not really a lot of characters of Garfield to put like a real overarching narrative on. Maybe, uh, Oh, oh what was the gap tooth one street cat's name? Oh, that's a, that's a question for another day, I suppose. The but, Gap to the one that was his love interest? Yeah. Arlene. Arlene? Was it Arlene? Yeah, that yeah. does sound right. But yeah, that sort yeah. of thing. But, one that, the, the cat that wore lipstick for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> Why would she, Nick, obviously? So it's, it's a girl cat, you gotta know that. Yeah, how else am I gonna know it's a girl cat? How else am I gonna know it's female Slyber unless you put a little pink bow on her head? I don't, I don't know, I always assumed that Nerma was female too, but I guess he wasn't, so... <laughs> you know, that's still a question I don't have an answer to. I, I, I think I've heard it different ways, I just, I've stopped caring at this point. I'm just like, you know what, I'm gonna let my past be my past. Um... We have to get off of Garfield side characters, or else I'm going to get, start talking about the Garfield Pet Forest books that I had when I was a kid. Oh, I almost want to hear about that. All right, so, but the notion being that those were more enjoyable things to read when you got the collected volumes of it, and I imagine the same is going to kind of apply to this, wherein you're going to, I think, enjoy reading Tomo-chan when you can read it as a whole, not as a whole, but at least in big concentrated bursts. Could reading it page to page, a lot of times there are pages that are kind of just setups to a longer premise and those Mm. may not be worth it so i don't know how the series kind of functions as a click here ha i guess i wait 24 hours for the next one to come out kind of thing i don't know how it functions in that way i think we're gonna end up keeping up with it though i did really enjoy reading this series and uh, yeah i can dig that i i enjoyed it absolutely as well 
Uh, we have, I think, what, like an hour and a half to get through our rest of our recap, so we should probably yeah, fortunately, get Fortunately, we're without a couple of series this week, though, so uh, we might be able to do it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, we're going to do the recap portion. We can make a recap now. We're going to start things off with My Hero Academia. Uh, color pages this week, including this big old two-page spread of Deku and, uh, and Red Riot uh, posing together. Uh, but last time we had Sun Eater kick what, ass, take what, names. Which at first didn't make any sense to me. Like when you read the chapter, it makes sense. But at first, it was just like, I mean, this is a cool panel. Why Red Riot getting this over everyone else, though? Oh, he's a, he's getting into a fight at the end. Ah, okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> I'm like, but you last know, it's not even in the, the intro cover page. Sun <laughs> Eater. Uh, kicked ass and uh, defeated the three bullets, but uh, he collapses in exhaustion at the end of this chapter after briefly seeing, hey, why is the photo so close to my face? <laughs> oh, sneaking up on me again. Oh. Um, we then cut over to the group that uh, Kyushin was buying, uh, not Kyushin, sorry, Sun Eater was buying time for. Get our chapter title Shield and Shield, Spear and Shield. And oh, watch out, Chris. It's going to swap our attack and defense points. Ooh. Or, in my mind, I just kept hearing the S.H.I.E.L.D. theme song playing three times in a row. Yeah, yeah. yeah. like it starts it, like it starts like three consecutive versions, but then it breaks. And that, Sierra like, when Hotel, a third one was, Sierra <laughs> Hotel, India, Sierra. <laughs> then there's this one that's like, uh, Spear. Uh, like some dude nervously behind the counter. Spear! 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 Oh, spear. yeah, there you go. Goldberg comes out. Or Edge, or Rhino, Batista. or Roman Reigns. Wasn't uh, that Batista? Did Batista do it? Batista did use a spear as a signature move, yeah. Uh, Caitlin, Caitlin, that was her finisher. She actually threw a really good spear. Uh, how many other fucking people threw spears? It's a really easy maneuver to execute, honestly. <laughs> it, it's a cool one, though. That's what's it's that's good what's if you do it right, yeah. yeah. Just gotta kick your legs out. Um. Anyway, so... Kirishima and Deku are expressing worry about leaving Sun Eater behind, but Fat Gum uh, kind of shouts o- o- over them like, "Hey, he's yeah. You know, when a guy says he's got your back, a real man has just gotta believe." And Kirishima is like, "Yeah, he'll be fine." <laughs> Easiest way to get him on your side. All right. Um, we briefly see Mimic spying on things, uh, uh, sticking his head out of the wall or just his eye, actually. And he sees, well, shit, Sun Eater actually, actually beat them. That sucks. But, uh, at the same time as this is happening, Aizawa is giving an explanation on his theory about how Mimic's power works, which is that, uh, he has to focus his attention on certain areas. Uh, he, you know, he doesn't become the area that he bonds with. He's actually kind of moving around through the walls and ceiling right now. And so he actually has to observe something in order to use his powers in order to affect it. Um, which is why they aren't currently being deterred is because he kind of stayed and watched Sun Eater win. So I don't know why he didn't interfere in that, but okay. I mean, Maybe until the, position. until the last moment, it didn't seem like he was going to lose or he didn't seem like he was going to win. So I guess, I guess that's true. Uh, we catch up a little bit with the group that was left behind in order to deal with certain criminals, you know, Bubble Girl and, and, and company. 
uh, one of the members of the Yakuza, because, um, uh, you know, some of the heroes are saying, hey, you should have just come quietly, or I think that's Bubble Girl actually saying this, you should have just come quietly instead of rushing to try and stop us, you guys are crazy, and the guy's like, we're not crazy, everyone you're arresting is perfectly sane, if we came quietly, overhaul would end us, they're like, what, yeah, you know, because he's Yakuza, he's, and uh, he's the boss we respected. But, you know, overhaul, villain names, real villains. Yeah, he, he decided to take the gang in the direction of using superpowers after his old after his old man uh, left it to him. Uh, and uh, I'm not going to be the one. I'm pretty sure that the one who messed up the old boss so bad he can't talk no more was... I mean, this is interesting, because we... I, I think you'd be lying to say if you didn't have at least some idea, like, dude... Overhaul, like cripples old man to like mm. at this point. But we've seen somewhat of a reference paid to him. Like we've we've kind of seen an aspect of that. So I'd be kind of curious to see just how far this dynamic goes. It, it's never felt fully as though Overhaul would be like somebody who was in his father's shadow and was just like, no, it's time for our new age of villains because he seemed to have a respect for the the way of the yakuza. That's his like big thing about trying to take other heroes' quirks and things like that. So I'll be kind of curious to see when we get like a backstory, like what is what led to this essentially, mm-hmm. and what happened at the villain meeting. <laughs> oh my god, tell me! <laughs> um, we catch back up with the hero group. Mimic uh, goes after them again and uh, tries to isolate and crush Aizawa with the wall. And, uh, so you know, maybe he's thinking to himself while doing it. All right. I'm going to, you know, take these guys out one at a time and I'll start with the guy who can actually stop me. But, uh, fat gum intervenes, uh, shoves eyes out of the way and, and is instead the one who gets thrown through the wall as a result. Um, and you know, fat gum's just kind of like, Hey, okay, I'll, I'll take this. Uh, you've got to just erase this guy. So there you go. Uh, Fatgum is sent hurtling through a tunnel that uh, Mimic has made in order to uh, isolate them from each other, I guess. Um, and uh, when he recovers, he gets up and realizes that um, Red Riot is there with him. He's like, huh? What? He's like, yeah, see, I-, I-, I dove in, too, trying to protect Sensei because I knew that I would be fine, but I sank into you, so. <laughs> it's like that Oops. It's like that great family guy joke where, like, Peter lifted his shirt up one time and there was, like, a foot stick. He's like, what the hell is that? And it, like, pops out and Stewie rolls off on the ground like, bovine lummox! Like, he's just been trapped in there for days. Early family guy, too. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The the two of them are attacked by the big brutal-looking bullet, uh, who's got freaking gauntlets on his fists and stuff. Kirishima goes unbreakable in order to absorb the blow and gets beaten the crap out of him. Uh, Fat Gum, too, gets hurt pretty bad, it seems. There is immediately a moment here as I read this that I was like, oh my god, Kirishima really just 
feels Chad-like in this moment. <laughs> like he, he just a little bit ago, he got to show off his unbreakable thing and how cool it was. And then this chapter, he gets fucking broken. Nope. Here's an actually important film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh no. But I don't think that's the case. But there was a moment here where I was like, oh my God. Yeah. He goes for his big, you know, heart hardening technique. And, uh, Fat Gum manages to stand against the, the, uh, onslaught that this guy launches at them. Uh, he is clearly beaten up by it, but Red Ride is really in bad shape. He is been knocked into the wall, and then when he gets back up, his hardened skin is like flaking off of his arms. Ugh. Yeah, it's pretty brutal. Hmm. This is something where, because I haven't watched any anime at all, uh, but I imagine this is going to be one of those scenes that's going to be a lot more disturbing when you can actually see it mm-hmm. animated. There's a little bit of like the, I can't tell what's necessarily blood or what's your like ripped off flesh in this scene sort of imagery to it. So a little bit of innocence preserved in that way, but it looks still brutal seeing like the shards of his hardened skin that are just clearly been shattered past. Uh, I mean, well, even if you don't see, like, any blood, like, imagine just him holding his arms up and, like, flakes of his skin falling off like that. Yeah. Uh, Fatcom tries to retaliate against the guy, but this very zen-looking guy backs him up, uh, and uh, he introduces himself as, let's see... What the fuck is he saying? Well, he says the other guy's name is Rappa. And I don't know what the shield guy's name is, though. He he projects mental barriers, basically, while the fist guy punches the crap out of them. And uh, Fat Gun, Fat Gum, even is really starting to hurt as he's like, "Oh, each of his each of these impacts is like a bullet." And the shield guy that is opposing them says, "We are a spear and shield up against two shields." And so. Yeah. Also, he talks shit about, about Kirishima. He's like, especially since calling the boy a shield gives him too much credit. Mm. I'm, yeah, I'll save this for the end, but I'm, I'm excited for kind of the implications being set up here. Yeah, um, Kirishima starts to get, have his inferiority complex kick in again. He's thinking, I'm, I'm, I'm not strong enough yet, but fat gum. Good teacher that he is says, oh, keep on standing. You haven't lost until they break your spirit. Taking down villains is all about how fast you can make them lose the will to fight. If you throw in the towel first, what then? Let's Who? beat these pawns down and rejoin the group. Who is, because there's a panel where he's like, I thought I'd gotten strong and we could see him hunched over. Yeah. Who's the person, the panel beneath that hunched over? Is that, it's not him as well. That was supposed it's different to be him? Well, well, maybe it's when he was younger and didn't have red hair. I don't know. <laughs> I thought he always had red hair, though. I'm trying to think who it, would it be, though, because it's obviously something he must be thinking about. Mm-hmm. So that seems interesting. Maybe it's Fat Gum. <laughs> I mean, it could maybe be. Maybe it's Fat Gum as a kid. It could be. I'm wondering though if that's a younger Kirishima. It doesn't. I mean, it very well could be. I just I, like I felt like he's been displayed as always having red hair, so I assume. I might just be very wrong. Oh, he had dark hair in the entrance exam? Alright, then I guess I'm... There we go. The answer's given. It's been a while since I've read the answer, the entrance exam. It's a long time. That was like chapter four. Yeah. Alright, but, uh, yeah, good chapter. I, I like this a lot, and the implication I kind of get out of this is 
you know, maybe we get something more out of Kirishima in this. That yeah, proves it wasn't just like a one chapter to shine kind of thing. Yeah, and that this may be something that kind of even builds up what his powers are going to be more so. Because they say, like, oh, it's two shields going up against a spear and a shield. And wouldn't it be apropos if one of those shields ends up also being able to be a spear as well in this kind of scenario, that there's a way to kind of turn him into a weapon in a way, or some way to weaponize ability. I mean, they could also just do it that he's so strong, you can almost, like, the best offense is a good defense kind of thing, but I'd be interested to see if they find some way to, like, turn him into somewhat of a more kind of offensively based guy, especially considering he's kind of already, like, not an aggressive character, but in the same way, like, Bakugo is very... Yeah, he's he's somebody who gets fired up in combat kind of thing, so I'd be kind of interested to see how they do that. Okay. Alright, so we need to move on then, and that means it's time to jump into Fairy Tale chapter. Ah, oh, it closed on me, you filthy whore of a website. Crunchyroll. It's chapter How dare you? 541, <laughs> The Magic of Hope. Yeah, alright, so. Last time, Acnologia sucked all the Dragon Slayers into them, and he's like, we gonna do it here, bitches! And in the real world, the flesh Agnologia, the real dragon, the whole apocalypse dragon, he's he's gonna rain destruction down. So the and start. I really wanted you to get understand that point by by explaining it about five times in one chapter. Yeah, they're like, here's the second diagram to explain to you what's happening because you may not have gotten it quite yet. So the start of this is basically just a fight occurring between the seven dragon slayers and Agnologia. And it's not really actually all that much to say. No one really does anything that shocking in here. Wendy's like, I boost all your stats because my powers are kind of arbitrary. The different dragon slayers go in and do shit. I don't even think Cobra actually does anything. Oh, no, he goes in to make a punch, and it doesn't work. And he just notes, I can't hear his heart. I can't hear it. And Akledge is just like, bitches, I'm the dragon king. Now we cut away, because we really don't need to deal with that the rest of this chapter, because everything really about this chapter is to deal with the notion of how do we stop Acnologia in the real world. And the answer, Nick, I plays, Motion sickness. <laughs> plays into a long-running thing that we found out about Dragon Slayers that has never had an actual explanation for it, but that Dragon Slayers get motion sickness on any kind of vehicle. So the literal plan is to get a boat and get Acnologia on it, so that he gets sick, and I guess sick in the real world will then translate to the spirit world, and they can, like, simultaneously defeat him. It's worth noting this is at least Lucy's plan, so props to her for being the one to come up with it. I was Like, holy shit, Lucy's getting to do something! <laughs> I, I fully, fully expected it to be, like, fucking Mira Jane or something like that. Someone who could put in there and just be like, we haven't gotten my fetish out there in the magazine for a little bit, so let's let's prop me out there. Let me strut out. Uh, here's something, here's something, though. Okay. The way that this goes down is, uh, you know, Lucy thinks to herself for a minute, and Levy's like, hey, what are you thinking about? And she goes, I have an idea. And then the next page is a bunch of people reacting you know, it's Levy staring at her, and Urza staring at her, and Gray looks flabbergasted. Uh, and then an explosion goes off, and Acnologia appears in the distance. And they're like, "Oh my God, Acnologia's here!" And then someone's, and then Kana's like, "Lucy, what's your plan?" I was almost certain that the everyone's reactions there were, "Oh, we heard your plan." Response to Lucy hearing her plan. Instead, it seems that they're instead saying. Lucy knows what to do. 
I guess maybe it's supposed to be that they heard the sound effect of Akalaja coming by. You, you maybe you would have assumed you would preceded their reactions by some sound effect occurring, but the sound effect occurs afterwards. So yeah, there is definitely a weird transition there. But yeah, her plan is get it on a boat. He'll be sick because that's just the comedy thing that they've always had Dragon Slayers do, and now it's going to be the the cootie gras of the entire like main antagonist of fairy tale apparently. But that's not enough, because you can't just put him on a boat. He's the, he's the dragon god. He'll just fly away. So, like, we have, we know of one magic that can stop Actalagia, because it was proven to us back on that island when Actalagia came to destroy us. And that is the power of friendship, the fairy spear. And their plan is actually not crazy in that they're like, we'll get him on a boat and then trap him there so he can't get off. And we'll use the fairy spear essentially as kind of a trapping tool as opposed to something to protect us. But then they realized, they're like, no, 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 there's no dragon, or a fairy sphere. Like, the first master did it, and none of us know how to do it, and she just Makarov, died. You came back from the... Makarov, you came back from the dead. Do you know how to do it? Nope! <laughs> Are your clothes loose? <laughs> useless. If I can't get big and punch him, I'm not gonna do nothing! It's like, hold on, everybody! Have I tried getting really big and punching Akalajia yet? They're like, I don't think that's going to work. Even when you get really big, you're still nothing to this. But oh, no, no. I have a trick up my sleeve. I can get really, really, really big and punch something. <laughs> do you have, like, long-distance tools? Nope. Well, he can shoot a nuke out of his mouth multiple How times. How do you get? <laughs> oh, you know, 20 feet tall. I mean, he's a giant dragon, so. <laughs> uh, if I push myself to the extreme, I could do 25. <laughs> I'll die afterwards, but I can do it. <laughs> I'll find a stone for a few days, though. So. <laughs> I'm like, I hate you, Makarov, so much. You're so worthless at everything you do. I'll die if one of you doesn't teleport in and teleport me back to safety. <laughs> God, fairy tales the worst at times. Uh, there's like a cut over to a conversation Akalaji has inside the Dragon Slayer's world, but there's really not much to kind of get out of this. I'm, I'm not mean to kind of gloss over Actologia's lines, because I've said before, he's one of the few, like, cool villains in Fairy Tale, but a lot of what he's been saying here has just kind of been the same thing over and over again. I am the best, you will all die, destruction waits for you, you know, there's there's nothing really new to kind of get out of him. I need Actologia to say something kind of different at this point, or mm-hmm. something with some context to it, or some substance being, like, where, I, where I've come from, different things like that, you know. Uh, we get cuts around to various different things that have been going on. I guess, uh, essentially, like, members of Fairy Tale teleport over to where, uh, Lamia Scale, I think, is the guild that, uh, Leon's in. They teleport over there to, like, get the boat. And it's sort of tough what, to tell what's going on, because they keep teleporting to different areas where the different, like, united guilds are fighting. And at this point, I guess I just had the assumption that I was like, I thought everybody got together at this point, but I guess that's not true. There's still, like, the different fronts going on, even though the... Well, some of them have to go and, like, Gray and Julia go in order to get a ship prepared. Um, Some of them are going to lure Akinologia to the proper location in order to put their plan to effect, and then a group of them just go into the library in order to try and find Fairy Sphere. Yeah. And there is, there's an element to it that I, I like that it's like, hey, all these different factions are going to, are putting in the effort to like get this. And it will be satisfying if 
every character we've kind of met to fairy tale to this point who's end up becoming like friends with them plays some part actology as defeat if it's like hey minerva and the rest of Sabretooth and the remnants of the Eurasian six essentially are the decoy they managed to survive long enough to get him over there and leon and the rest of Lemia's scale are able to get a, a ship and get and they really bring it to the scene at the right time for them to enact their plan and lucy and all of them do it uh, you know, that, I could see where there's like a satisfying conclusion element to all that. It's a little confusing because there's a shit ton of fairy tale characters that kind of all have to be built to this point. But I get it. Like, I could see where it'd be kind of cool to finally get that payoff for fairy tale building up this huge cast of friends as time's gone on. So, I actually don't have any issue with this chapter. I, I thought I've heard some people have had like really strong reactions to it. And I don't see where you'd really find a big problem with this. Because there's nothing actually like they actually have a logical plan to defeat. I I, I think that's it's, it's actually a pretty it's actually a pretty clever plan. We'll we'll use this protective sphere as a trap. That's a that's a clever use of it. You know, it's an impenetrable sphere that he can't penetrate from the outside, and thus he can't penetrate from the inside either. So he'll be trapped in it. And that's something that's been established in Fairy Tale too. They long since now know that that is something that Aquilogica's power could not break. So it would make sense. I guess the only thing that's weird is like the Dragon Slayer motion sickness thing is going to be, like, a final battle conclusive element to things, and it's still weirdly unexplained. But outside of that, I think this is actually a solid chapter. And again, I'm happy that Lucy is playing some part in the ending of this that isn't like, ah, shit, I forgot to give Lucy something to do. Fuck it, she'll just rewrite the book of Zareph, and it's like, but you have a character in Fairy Tale who specializes in that magic. Why wouldn't she do it? <laughs> That's it, though. That's fairy tale. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <clears throat> so we're going to move on to Food War Shokugeki no Soma. Rindo. It's all about Rindo. Mm-hmm. This is the big introduction into uh, Rindo's specialty, and uh, I know a lot of people were really excited for that. Um. I really was hoping that she would just have the crocodile just, like, sit there and chill out while she cooked. Nope! <laughs> it's chapter 220, Rindo takes the stage, begin with this full-page spread of Rindo just fucking carrying knives like they're fucking Wolverine claws between your fingers. Ah. Um, it turns out the specialty that, the special ingredient that she has to use is not crocodile, it's red pepper. Okay. Um... And yeah, we get a look at the three ingredients that they're going to use. Uh, Some and uh, uh, Mimastaka have to use tuna, and of course, we already know that uh, green tea is uh, the one between Sukasa and uh, Kuga. So Rindo basically immediately springs into action. She grabs the crocodile and she, and she or the alligator, sorry, I should say, and she holds it out uh, and, and uh, towards. Uh, he says, hey, if you don't get moving, this little guy is going to gobble you up. And she holds it on his freaking mouth, opens up towards him. <laughs> just in, like, even if, like, you didn't know anything about this, like, this would just be an immediately memorable image to have to display. Just someone holding out a baby alligator towards you and goes, ah! Um... 
uh, what was it? The freaking MC goes on about how it's like, oh, Rindo Senpai is a master of rare ingredients. And then Rindo accidentally drops the alligator and starts chasing after the MC. <laughs> I fucking, I love the way this like transition goes where she's just like, you better get going there, Mimisaka. Cause if you are super, whatever you're fuck, the third seat guy's name is. Cause if you don't, this alligator is going to gobble you right. Whoops. Oh shit. <laughs> Look out. Oh man, these guys are fast. <laughs> They, they mentioned in this, not to like jump in, but they mentioned like there's three distinct kind of different sides to Windu. And I'm really starting to identify that because there is the side of her that's like overtly intense and is like ready to battle. And then there's the side of her that is just so silly and like childish in a way and everything like that. Mm-hmm. That you're just like, I, I gotta love this character dynamic where she's just like, she's so intense the next moment. They're like, whoops, drop my live alligator. <laughs> I love the, cause she, you know, grabs it back up. She's like, stop it, bad boy. And the, and the alligator's kind of going. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, so she, yeah, puts the alligator down, whips the knife out, and she says, okay, little gator, thanks for giving me your life. And just like a blood splatter on the next panel. People are like, holy shit. <laughs> she butchered the hell out of that thing really fast. And just, she just, Whipping out different sized knives, skinning it, uh, cutting off different chunks of it. And, uh, like, in almost an instant, she, she skins the thing up. Um, and, uh, yeah, we get this introduction into what makes Rindo, like, who she is. And what she's basically done ever since she joined the council was she took advantage of the fact that you can just go travel around the world in order to conduct research. Which is a surprising, but very, like, interesting, uh, quality of this is that, you know, they, they, they mention, you know, hey, oh, you know, Azon uses the council for, like, connections and stuff, and Tsukasa uses it in order to, uh, make sure that his food is, is top quality, but Rindo seems to have taken kind of the most practical approach to it, which is just, I don't, I'm gonna go fucking travel around in order to learn shit. Yeah, I'm just gonna travel on the road uh, eating different foods. Yeah, uh, it matches the the stuff that the, the her character that we've seen so far, which she travels around to weird places and eats weird stuff. Uh, but they also explain the the much more practical aspect of this, which is she familiarizes herself with all sorts of weird tastes so that she can then you know find the best ones and know, learn how to prepare them. There you go. Uh, we also get this brief diversion into, you know, when she was going around, uh, during the, the, the moon festival, went into the wonderful world of insect gourmet. And th- she's like this returning customer there. And so they're like, oh yeah, yeah, a couple years ago, you, you had like what ants and then, and you, yeah, yeah, th- this year we have crickets for you. So please enjoy. And. It's kind of weird because we like see the food sitting on the dish in front of her, but when it comes time for her to actually eat it, it's censored. <laughs> yeah, it's mosaiced out essentially. It's, it's odd. <laughs> Something that's kind of interesting about that, or about all this that we kind of discover, is she's not actually that far off from what Soma's father's specialty is, where his kind of no, sort of thing no. is the idea that he travels the whole world to find different cuisines and builds into his repertoire. Hers is a little bit more kind of specified that it seems that she looks out specifically like weird, rare ingredients and builds it off. Mm-hmm. But that is a part of what they say is kind of made Soma's dad the chef he is, the fact that he traveled the world and has experienced all these different cultures. So 
I think that's a kind of cool aspect about Rindo that kind of builds her up to be this caliber number two character. And uh, then we get, yeah, the introduction to her. You know, Rindo Kabuyashi has three distinct faces. Rindo the Epicurean, who uses her great wealth and power to satisfy her tastes. Rindo the Field Researcher, who systematically studies unknown ingredients in their native habitats. And Rindo the Barbarian, who gleefully hunts down any ingredients you can catch. And doesn't wear clothes. <laughs> Jesus Christ, she's just wearing a bikini and fur. <laughs> It looks as though she would be a video game character, honestly. If this was the next League of Legends character, I would not be shocked if they were like, Rindo the Barbarian. She swings around boar corpses as her special move. (laughs) Yeah, it's her ultimate. She throws boar corpses at you. She drops her alligator on the ground, which chases you around, biting your feet. Oh. Um, and someone gets really psyched up, but the more he learns about this, because eventually he's like, oh, man, one day I want to get together with her and Sadasuka so we can talk about crazy ingredients. And there's, like, this imagined scene of them together, like they're a fucking, fucking cult. <laughs> I do like the notion that, like, they like that's what they're going to bond over. They're just going to be like, I can't wait. We're all going to talk about such weird, awesome ingredients and how delicious they are. And it's like, and like, <laughs> and I'm like, is it one of the three of you, like? The one cook who's like, I just make gross shit, period. Like, I don't know if it's even good. I just make gross shit. <laughs> um, and also we get a brief moment to uh, look at what Megashima is preparing because he's going to be doing, sh- he's got some uh, Sharsu pork that he's whipping out. And uh, so Yoshino is like, yeah, you know, we, we shouldn't be so worried about Rindo because we've got ramen master Megashima senpai on our side. Ramen master. Um, and this is where we're introduced to, yeah, is, is, give, give him a proper introduction to Megashima as he gets this big two-page spread of him preparing a bunch of different cooking tools, rippling with muscles all the fuck over. And uh, he's like, huh, who's afraid of you? I would believe at this point uh, a new voice has to be applied to Megashima. He's, okay. he's Vin Diesel. Uh, who's afraid? He's like, afraid? Who's afraid? That's Sylvester Stallone, and you know he's it. He's not that far from it, though. He's got, he's, uh, you, you, I need you to do it, though, because you got the deeper voice. That's, that's the key to it. No, yeah. Vin Diesel's actually really tough to do, because he just kind of, like, talks normally, honestly. Uh, I mean, I could do, I could do kind of an Iron Giant, but that's yeah, not you quite do, the same. That's, that's Vin Diesel. Do it, then. Who afraid? <laughs> He's like an rock. Idiot. He's an idiot now. <laughs> That's what the Iron Giant was. I didn't watch it. Oh, <laughs> Nick, I haven't seen the Iron Giant. I have. I, I, I have seen. I have seen white chicks though. Are these two comparable? No. <laughs> All right. Well, they're comparable in my mind, so I'm okay with that. Diesel's not in White Chicks. <laughs> but Terry Crews is. So Terry Crews is better than Vin He's Diesel. Not, I mean, I'm not going to argue that point. Terry Crews is pretty amazing. <laughs> uh, you know, but apples and oranges. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Uh, ultimately, with this chapter, Rindo came out looking awesome. She's, yes. you know, incredibly cool. We're getting to see these different dynamics and things like that. These different shades to her. Megashiba at the other end. Came off looking a lot more disposable at the end when it's just you like, did. it's like, and don't forget Megashima, ramen master. The next chapter, I expect to see him fucking on the ground, like in a fucking <laughs> orgasm, like the ninth seat that got just like 
thrown aside because it's like Robin Master seems like kind of a cool specialty, I guess. But just like the fact that it was kind of revealed to us as like this thing at the end of the chapter, like, hi, I make ramen. It's just like after like eight, it's like after 17 plus pages or so, like being used to just describe how awesome Rindo is. It's just like, hey, guys, don't forget about me. Family. <laughs> family. This chapter opens up. He's on the <laughs> with family. <laughs> Ramen and me, you family. Keep doing Sylvester Stallone. It's not Sylvester. Sylvester Stallone is like, yeah, it's over here, but with this, it's just like family, you know. It's different. I can see that, I guess, a little bit. Anyway, yeah, I, I would not be too surprised if we opened up the next chapter. Megashim was on the ground, uh, white-eyed, with uh, a ramen brick stuffed into his mouth. <laughs> anyway. Uh, all right, let's get into our uh, batch of new series then. Uh, we will kick things off with Cross Account, the social media kind of themed love triangle yeah, the social romantic media, comedy. Yeah. Chapter 2, Fake x Real. So last time we were introduced into uh, to Daichi, a.k.a. Mr. Harmless, a.k.a. Mr. Harmful. Uh, he ended up saving his childhood friend, uh, Mao, from um, really, really, really weird computer nerd rape. It was very uncomfortable. Um, and uh, this chapter is more about introducing the third in that triangle, which is uh, Nanoka, the idol that we saw at the end of the last chapter, who is also known as Shithead. Sorry, Poophead. Um, the online friend of Daichi when they use their uh, aliases to communicate with each other. We do get a little bit of Daichi at the beginning. We reestablish the whole, oh, girls aren't scared of him. He's Mr. Harmless. He writes this really weird thing because some girls, like, he, he, some wind blows up some girls' skirts as he's running by them. They're like, oh, no, a boy stars. Oh, it's just Mr. Harmless. Okay, it doesn't matter if he, if he sees her underwear. And so he writes down, like, mark my word, you stupid girls who treat me like a bug. Every single man in the world is essentially a predator in his head. That's, what the fuck's wrong with you, dude? Yeah, you know. <laughs> and then he's like, but, oh, thanks for the great view. He's like. I don't you know. know. It, it, the, the, I know that there's the joke, like, that they don't see him as a threat and stuff. I get it. But it's like, I'm actually a pervert. Okay. Is that supposed to make you endearing? It doesn't. I mentioned last time that I felt the series kind of was in this weird place where it was it was bringing up social media, but not, and like, address the fact that there's a dark side to it. Like that could be utilized, but wasn't, and that's kind of a weird place. After that, I kind of, like, started, I was like, I, did, I guess I didn't maybe get my thought across correctly on that, where, and I didn't necessarily think the series was bad, but I just feel as though it, it's playing in an area that has a lot of potential for this sort of series, and I feel as though it's something that, no matter what direction it goes, it could miss out on telling something more interesting if it just goes with, like, a standard, like, romance story. But this is a chapter where we don't get a lot of Daichi, but in his short time, he manages to make himself a little more despicable in the same way. Because now we're starting to get the impression that he does have, like, aggressive things. Like, I mentioned last time, he shitposts his, his schoolmates. And he's still not directly insinuating 
like, oh, fuck Nancy from two-way because she thinks I don't matter. Like, he's not doing that, but it's still this thing where he puts his aggression out online through social media and has attracted a following through that. And that is something that has an inherent kind of dangerous quality to it, or at least something that's not a positive quality. Because, again, he's seemingly getting rewarded for all of this, so... And if he's growing in popularity through all of this, you have to think that eventually he might, like, inspire someone to do the wrong thing with that following of his, if he keeps on posting that kind of thing out there. There's there's a large discussion that's currently ongoing as, like, the new media social advent kind of rises, where it's like, how responsible are you for your fan base if you put ideas out there and someone who follows you decides to enact upon that? And again, it's one of those things where I'm like, this is a much larger, like, sort of premise that this series is going to deal with. This series mm-hmm. is ultimately just about, like, hey, I use the social media account to hook up with this hot otaku chick who pretends she's not actually an otaku. And it's just, like, you keep putting these things out there that have real-life kind of things to them, like consequences and elements, and you're just not going to deal with them. And that's it's frustrating. I don't necessarily blame it on the author, because maybe it just doesn't have that kind of social context over there the same way it does here or something like that, but it's just one of those things where it's just like the elements you're putting in have a reality to them and they're just not being addressed at all. It's all just a vehicle for what seems like a pretty generic romance story. By the way, he's not going to hook up with, uh, with the, the idol. He's going to hook up with Mal anyway. Almost certainly. First girl, uh, which is what this, this, this is what the entire thing with Daichi is actually about. It's to introduce how, most girls don't care if he sees their panties because he's Mr. Harmless, but then he happens to see Mal's panties when her skirt blows up, too, because the skirts of the school are approximately eight inches long. Uh, and uh, so she, he's just like, whatever, she'll just treat me the same way all the other girls do. And she threatens to beat him up instead, and he's like, oh, what's wrong with you? Come on, like, it's uh, you're not the kind of person who seems to care about that anyway. And so she beats him on the head. He's like, what the fuck do you think about me? Yeah, of course, being that, oh, since he saved her, she started to see him differently. She sees him as more of a man now, and so she actually is prone to getting embarrassed. Kind of like the whole thing with the much better series we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast. Yeah. The rest of the chapter from this point, though, is introducing us to uh, Nanoka, the idol, uh, including some very, honestly, kind of discomforting bikini shots of her. Like, I was just like, I'm just going to, like, Looking at softcore porn at this point, honestly. There like, is <laughs> an immense amount of just, like, cheesecake in this this uh, chapter. And this is, of course, one of the chapters I read while I was at school. Like, I have, like, a math class that's a lab. So like, you bring your laptop. You just have to explain why the 15-year-old Japanese girl's ass is in your face. That's yeah. where, like, I've turned the laptop and I very quickly, like, click, 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 click. Please get to, like, just, like, when's Dr. Stone come up? <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank God she's wearing a tracksuit after that bitch. <laughs> oh, phew. All right. The big reveal is that when she's in her private life, she's not on the red carpet. She's not doing really, really slutty bikini shoots. Uh, she's just this girl who slobs around at home, sits in a beanbag chair, wears a hoodie and, and sweatpants and glasses, and uh, she, just she... falls asleep while surrounded by her, her, te- her tech and snacks on uh, really unhealthy foods and stuff. She's diva. From uh, Overwatch, they, they, there's a character you know, in a robot who they, they the fans oh, have yeah, made a yeah, joke yeah. that she's essentially just some video game gremlin who eats Doritos and Mountain Dew and plays games all day. Which you know, you do you. 
they introduced this joke, which the first one is, is, I thought was okay because her manager, mother, mother manager, her momager, momager comes in and is like, you had this bag of potato chips. That's freaking 1200 calories. Uh, or, or she, or rather, She's like, stop snacking on junk food. And she's like, no, no, it's okay. I had two bags of potato chips, and that's 1,200 calories. I had 500 milliliters of Coke. That's 50 calories. So that's 1,250 calories. So if you give me four hours of the gym, I'll get back in shape. And she's like, you don't have that time in your schedule, though. Okay, fair enough. Okay, that's that's kind of funny. But then it introduces she's got this freaking life-size figure from a video popular video game series. And so her mom's like, how much did you spend on that? Oh, you know, one million two hundred nine hundred twenty thousand yen, which, for those of you who don't know, that basically means she spent like twenty thousand dollars on this thing. Twenty thousand dollars. So fuck her. <laughs> well, I mean, look, she's what a teen idol. Like, if it, I guess it's like hey, it's her money at some point. She's. I guess You're not allowed to complain about how you can't be your true self if you get to spend twenty thousand dollars. Oh yeah. <laughs> That that's that's a, a different scenario, different bag of peanuts. But uh, you know, also she then she then whips out like it's okay. We've still got like seventy five million yen in savings. It's like if you do the, the math, which is very very quickly, it's like you spent a twentieth of your of your savings on this thing, <laughs> or now a twentieth, fortieth of, of your savings on this thing. That's entirely too much. Yeah, especially if it's just like, wait, that's all you've made out of, like, you're supposed to be the biggest, like, actress of this era right now, right? Like, of time in Japan and everything like that? I'm surprised it's all you've made. Or, I guess, like, I guess I'm trying to, like, rationalize how much she's made in comparison to how that fucking doofy-looking statue has cost her that much of her total worth of time. I don't get it. Yeah, so it's like, you know, the, her her mom's like, you should not ruin your precious talent. Know that you were born to be an actress. And so she's like, ah, I'm sad. I'm going to go be glum while naked in the tub. <laughs> yeah, that was, um, there was a point where it's like it closes in on her, like, clothing basket, which they emphasize by having her bra, like, hanging over it. At first, I was like, I don't, what's happening? Like, cause I didn't realize, like, a transition was in effect. I was like, oh god, she's not doing, like, a bikini photo shoot again, is she? Is this all this chapter's gonna, gonna be? Act, she's going to act in a movie that requires her to wear a bikini during the entire thing. <laughs> she's bend over at weird points. <laughs> oh no, she's in Transformer 7! <laughs> Michael Bay's gonna make her wash his car! I just heard about that the other day, that's so fucked up. It's like, hey, for this audition, can you wash my car and I'll videotape it? Oh, the tape went, so I don't know where it went. It's gone now. It's all gone. It disappeared. But you got the job. So we get a little bit of a scene of where she discovered the Mr. Harmful account. And then she was like, oh, I can't keep up this pure and innocent act anymore. No, how long will I have to do this? How long must I continue hiding my true self? I'll be alone forever. But then she's like, oh, no, because there's Mr. Harmful and he's like me. He also has worries about being a phony. So he hides his true self and also feels isolated. So then we can share that together and connect. I'll call myself Poophead. In order to communicate with him. Sure. <laughs> and the other's been much as, oh, he, he, he makes her happy somehow. Um, whatever. They get along, they interact online. Uh, only when I'm talking with you do I not feel alone. I can become who I really am, which is understandable. 
you know, I have this person that I can be genuine with. I don't have to put on a facade with them. Honestly, it's a lot more endearing than what just Daichi does because like, I'll be my true self in front of a bunch of anonymous followers as opposed to this person she feels like she has an actual one-on-one personal connection with. Anyway, the whole thing ends with a, a bit of a, a conversation with them and, uh, Daichi says that, uh, he's going to, he, that he managed to win a ticket that, so that he gets to shake hands with Nanoka. And so she's like, oh my gosh, I'm going to meet him in person. Oh no! Oh wow. I'm dumb. I totally misread that as he got two tickets and her lie would have to be found out because she couldn't be in two places at once if he was going to go along with him to see it. But it's like, oh, no, she's just going to have to meet him. That's not that big of a deal. Like, I, I don't know. I'd just be like, hey, does he even know what he looks like? Because he hides his identity. No. No, so, he doesn't. I, yeah, all right. You know presumably, what? <laughs> presumably the meetup is going to be about her trying to determine which of them is, like, Mr. Harmful. Yeah. I, we've gotten two chapters of this now. And we'll get one more, because that's how the jump starts work. Mm-hmm. And... Mm-hmm. You know, we're we're seeing like Shudan has come and done its its run. We'll we'll talk about that in a little bit. I I'm I'm trying to be kind of a little open more open minded with this series because I I kind of had muddled thoughts on it last week, and I feel as though this series I I don't enjoy it very much. I, I you know these sort of very cheesecakey love stories are just not my cup of tea. You know they're they're kind of aimed at a different audience than I am anyway. It's aimed at people mm-hmm. younger than me. You know, where the cheesecake is really that appealing kind of aspect to it. But I still just, I'm kind of waiting for that thing that is supposed to be, I guess, like the hook to it. Yeah. That I just can't get into yet. Like, I just haven't been able to find much to really invest in. I like the art in this series. I think that they draw, like, the artist has really good expressions. Like, I kind of like her expression at the end. There's, like, you know, a a level of adorableness to it that she's so shocked that somehow like the left side of her glasses is unhooked and like falling down. Like she's just like, like it just, it descended essentially. Like I, I do like some of those aspects to it, but I'm just not able to like fully immerse myself in the series. It does. I do get what you mean. It sort of feels as though you haven't hit that point where, you know, someone points to it and it's like, this is why you got to read this. It, it, It feels like somehow we haven't actually gotten that when I'm pretty sure it's come and gone. Yeah. All right, Dr. Stone, we're going to do Z equals 16 Kohaku. Uh, last time, Senku and Taiju uh, went their separate ways. Uh, Senku is going to attempt to uh, find someone that he can make an alliance with, the mysterious group that sent up those smoke signals. And so he sets off on his own, uh, carrying the flag with him uh, that he made last time. Um but he also thinks to himself, oh, but hey, if Sukasa meets up with that person, then that could be a big problem. Uh, we cut over to where Sukasa and that person come across each other. And we actually get our first good look at the girl that we saw a few, a few, uh, weeks ago, uh, with the high heeled sandals <laughs> and, uh, all that. And, uh, Sukasa is making observations about her as she approaches because she's a young girl and he's like, huh, she's got blue eyes. So maybe she's like only part Japanese and stuff. Uh, and, uh, as he, as she approaches him, she's holding out this big bundle of flowers towards him. 
which she then immediately reveals is hiding a knife when she tries to attack him. And it's this, it's this great, it's like sequence of a multiple different badass things because first off, it starts off with disgust. So as she's approaching me, like, 57 meters behind me, to the right. I can sense your presence. Then she comes up to him and attacks him with a knife, and he's just, uh, just barely even moving as he as he as he uses his spear sword thing to block it. it, it this it's sort of crazy because we now know the, you know I shouldn't say now know, but this is a series that's drawn uh, by the same guy who gave us Sunken Rock. Mm-hmm. So it's somebody who's been used to doing a battle action series. And it's sort of funny seeing this happen because, first and foremost, it's still like we're thinking like, why is she wearing such weird sandals? Because there's a, a particular like emphasis on the fact she like lands on one foot and like twist pivots on it. And I'm just like, I feel like the heel would How make that, that so much more difficult. <laughs> but then there's a shot that defies all logic. I can't explain it. She's like spinning around butterfly knifing. And for some reason, like her leg is up and like shooting behind her head. I, I can't. It's one of those, like, uh, gymnasts or contortionists where they sit on their own head, basically. Yeah. It, it, it's something where I'm just like, the art for this, it seems cool, but I'm just, I have no idea what she's doing at this point. She is, like... She's backflipping while moving forward, so, because her legs are kicking up at him as she's turning that way. It is a very unique sight. But I do like that this chick eventually like, just showed up and is just like already trying to like black widow this dude <laughs> like down, just like I'm gonna do flippy, kicky, choky nonsense to you. And she immediately explains why she's attacking him this way because she's like, I saw everything. You took that girl hostage, and then when the gentleman gave himself up to save her, you slew him without mercy. And we get get this little statistic box that pops up: eyesight twenty slash one point eight. Which is freaking impossible, basically. <laughs> um, that is such, I think that that means that she has better eyesight than, like, most birds of prey do, so. <laughs> Which would make sense for the sort of absurd world that's created right. by everyone. I guess there's always that thing when, like, an eye shield, like, characters just kept getting abilities where you're just like, this guy could throw a football in under a tenth of a second. You're just like, it's impossible. But in this, it's just like, fuck it. This is like a more fantasy world. You don't have to apply to the logic of football so much. So like, sure, why doesn't she have, like, eyesight better than a hawk? And so, yeah, she said, like, you know, you killed the gentleman sorcerer, so I will kill you. I know you're an evil person. Uh, and uh, he, she specifically refers to Senku as the gentleman sorcerer. And so Sukasa is like, wait, what are you talking about? And she uses a bunch of terminology like, ah, you have already forgotten being bathed in his magic. That strange black powder, it called forth the mountain's rage. Fuck is she talking about? Wait a minute. And he realizes, you're not someone who actually woke up from petrification. Maybe you're the child of someone who was. Or, no, just how many generations removed are you? And uh, we do get this brief glimpse into uh, her memories it shows that when she was a kid, uh, with, uh, presumably a brother and her, and a mother with her. But, uh, it's an interesting idea that we hadn't really brought up before, you know, cause we thought of this, oh, you know, there could be people who have, you know, also been revived, of course, and we saw the hints of that. But also, yeah, they were thousands of years petrified. So if someone with petri- was released from it before them, it wouldn't necessarily have been within a few months the way that Taiju and Senku were. 
there's there's a lot of room within this mystery to play like side stories or things like that and incorporate them in if, like other people who broke out and what they did. So I I do like this little thing in here of like, hey, this new character isn't one of the you know kids from Taiju when they're at high school. So Sukasa quickly analyzes what to do next, and he concludes, hey, well, you know, if there's all these primitive people, then that means that they are unburned by science, and so I could subjugate them at any point I want to, I could kill them at any point I want to, but I better leave that for later, because I've got more important things to do. I've got to go secure the revival fluid. So he knocks the girl away and cuts through a tree, as you do, and with, uh, with a throws spear, it her. by the way. A stone-bladed spear just immediately (laughs) throws on top of her. Uh, The ruckus attracts uh, Senku's attention, and uh, he comes across the uh, aftermath of the battle where the tree has collapsed on on the woman, and she's like, oh, you are the gentleman sorcerer who protected the girl. You are alive. And uh, so Senku looks at everything, and he's like, oh, uh, okay, look, um... I've got a couple of ideas here. So if you're about to die, then I might be able to blast you out of here with what little gunpowder I have left. But if you give me some time, you might die from waiting for so long. But if you can make it, then I will definitely save you. You got two choices, so you've got to give me your answer quickly, though. And so she stares at him and kind of shocked for a second. And then she says, I can I can make it. And so Senku goes about doing what he does, which is science. And uh, it's, you know, just a pretty simple solution, honestly, which is he makes a block and tackle system. He makes a set of pulleys and ropes uh, over the course of, you know, several hours, presumably. And uh, he hooks a bunch of stuff up and then goes up to the top of a tree, hooks the rope around a branch, and uh, uses that to, you know, just fall down and with the poison ropes. Uh, he's like, hey, you know, this is this is something that was uh, learned about you know, by Archimedes thousands of years ago. And you know, with this, a high school nerd like me can wield strength on par with monsters like Sukasa Taiju, the pulley. And uh, it works. He lifts the tree off of her. And... Uh, so she says, as she's being freed, oh, it's amazing, you know. Not your knowledge of that Arca-something fellow, but how you kept hammering away at the problem one step at a time. Your unwavering conviction. My name is Kohaku, and I believe I've fallen for you quite hard. And I do really like Senku's expression at this. <laughs> like, he doesn't really know what to think about what she just said. He's like, you're not a science equation. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to do with oh, you. The way, she, the way that she's fucking drunk, because of course she's on her back after having been pinned down, and she's revealed, and she's wearing what essentially amounts to like just freaking like a cocktail dress, a nightgown, almost like a nightgown kind of thing. And you know, so she's looking at him like uh, he's going to like, huh? <laughs> what's going on here? <laughs> what language are you speaking? Is it French? <laughs> Uh, I, I like this chapter. Um, I like what we've kind of had established about this character. It's cool to have like a fighting female character in this sort of series. So it's interesting to kind of have that be her element. Uh, I, I guess we're kind of still going to have to wait for what will be the 
consequence to all these things. We still don't know everything about her. And I think he mentioned, like, looking for other people. Like, other people set up smoke signals. So, you know, this won't be the only one. But I, I do like how this has kind of started off. And it it'll be good to see kind of how, I guess, these two characters can play off of one another. We didn't get a lot of interaction between them here. But we got enough to kind of get a sense that it's like, oh, hey, this will be kind of cool. And it's an interesting, um, you know... She's got this kind of interesting aspect to her because she's, she is like this, you know, primitive character, but it is, you can tell that she was, uh, raised by, or at least generations that came down from modern people. And it, uh, Sukasa doesn't definitely seems to be onto something, which is that she's, seems to be a few generations removed from the person who was freed because, you know, if she's the daughter of, you know, like a, I don't know, a Japanese high school, she's not going to throw around words like the gentleman sorcerer or something like that, the mountain's fury or whatever. Um, but at the same time, she's not portrayed as being, I guess. It's like, she's like you smart man, make fire to save me with, or something like exactly that. Like this. she, she has sort of a neat, like a native eloquence to her in a way or, or something like that. Like a simple eloquence. It's almost like she's more out of medieval times than out of the Stone Age, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I also appreciate, I also greatly appreciate her incredible bluntness. I think that's, that's fun. Okay. Uh, let's move on to Shudan, which is the uh, third and final chapter of the Jumpstart run for that series. And, uh, so, you know, by now we've, uh, We've had time for Soshi and Akira to get to know each other and actually become friends, but Soshi is still being stupid preteen boy about it. It's like, no, cooties, girls, me. As uh, this chapter deals with the start of the new school year, as uh, I think that they're in their last year of primary school, I want to say. Uh, and Soshi discovers that he and Akira are now also going to the same school in addition to being at the club. And there's a very awkward moment between them because Akira spots him in the hallway and he's just kind of like, um... Peace! <laughs> <laughs> and they're in freaking classes right next to each other, so it's not like you can just avoid her forever. I love that he immediately is like, ah... I probably shouldn't have done this. <laughs> I know that. I know that feeling of immediate social regret where you're just like, should have done that. I've already done it. And all I could do is sit here and <laughs> dwell in it, marinate in my own <laughs> awkwardness. And uh, we get a time skip after that. Uh, Hamanichi has a uh, practice match or not a practice match. It's their first official game of the year. And uh, so they're going to be taking on, According to their coach, their arch rival, Tenryu, uh, and immediately the guys are like, they're our arch rival, I guess. <laughs> um, the chapter is basically built around, you know, Akira is a lot better than, uh, the kids on the other team are expecting because she's a girl, you know. But in the second half, they start treating her really, ser- really seriously, uh, because they realize now how good she is and they, so they aren't afraid of roughing her up if they need to. And uh, meanwhile, Soshi is clearly bothered by stuff that's going on. He's not playing as well as he usually does. But by the end of things, he gets his act together because uh, he sees the way that Akira is staying optimistic uh, during the match, because even though she's being roughed up, she's like, eh, that just means that they view me as a threat. So, you know, let's do this. And uh, 
So she gets his act together and is like, hey, you know, Akira can do this. And so if she can put on, if she can have that kind of reaction, then hey, I should be freaking put down by the fact that, oh, she's a girl and I was talking to a girl. I suck at dealing with girls and she is a girl. Very smart observation there. Yeah. yeah. But he calls out to her, uh, to pass the ball to him. She kicks it down. They manage to get a drive going. And so she scores a goal. And while he's thinking to himself, you know, hey, you play soccer, so you're one of us. And we do get reconciliation between them because uh, he goes over to her, reaches his hand out to help her up, and he's like, hey, I'm sorry for blowing you off the other day. Akira lets out of breath, takes his hand, and punches him in the gut. (laughs) I really like this, honestly. (laughs) This very straightforward interaction that they have, and the fact that she's just like, yeah, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The twist on expectations, where you just kind of like think like, yeah, it's okay, you know, no. She toughs it out and makes him pay for it, but they get better, so. And, uh, yeah, they end up winning the game at the end. Uh, I really like this chapter, honestly. I don't have a whole lot to say about it because it's just like, oh, I really like it. Okay. I am okay with the notion that we won't get any more Shudan. Um, I, I, I like the series. I think it is like a very fun, well-written series that has very likable characters. But my not issue with it, because I don't want to say this though it's like a problem but the thing that keeps me from getting into the series is there's no, like, long-term sort of thing to work to. Everything's, like, if this was the last chapter of Shudan, I'd be like, well, this is, makes perfect sense. There's nothing left to do. Because it's not like any conflict, really, right now. Nothing's, it's not like they're like, we need to get to a Christmas bowl, or the team just won't accept her because she's a girl, or even other teams won't accept Like, everything has been handled. The other team eventually, like, got to respect her and things like that. Like, there's just... I just don't know where... Like, it, I guess the thing is, like, what's going to happen between her and uh the main... the male lead? I guess that's, like, the hook to be like, what happens next week? But as it is right now, I'm just like, there's nothing for me that says, like, what happens next week? Or anything like that. It's just, this is every week comes in and you read something and you leave happy and then you, you go home and then maybe the next week you're like, oh yeah, I guess I should read Shudan because maybe something is developing in there. I'm not saying this is an issue and I can see why a lot of people really ju- like this series. And again, I, I like this series too. I think it's well written. I just, as something in jump that's meant to kind of like hook people into it and its premise, I just don't think the series has anything like that yet because it hasn't built anything there to see the long-term payoff for it. Like, I just... Like, there's... Even even the rival has been conquered by them at this point. Like, I just don't know what the series' main goal is. I guess I gotta get your point. Um, You know, if we think about some of the stuff that we saw before this, you know, like, uh, going back several months, uh, you know, you've got, like, uh, We Never Learn. We set up the fact that it's like, okay, well, you just gotta get these different people in order to actually, he's got to accomplish this seemingly impossible task of getting them to learn a specialty that they're not, they're not strong in. U19 is about, uh, the conflict between kids and adults and, uh, you know, the red thread of fate kind of thing. Poro was about him trying to make his way, way in the demon world while people keep on attacking him. Uh, 
M- Mary was about this weird thing with, uh, you know, our main guy being cursed in order to have Mary and Oa was going to result from that. That's the intrigue there. Dr. Stone, they're in this stone world. Robot laser beam is a much more straightforward, this guy discovers a sport, and so he's getting into it. You have to remember, I think, that, you know, uh, y- Yokota and other manga seem to really follow that kind of approach to things. You know, if you think about, you know, Straighten Up and Kurosawa, they're Neither of them really had a particular, this is the thing, this is the ultimate goal that we're going for, for that, from this. I do understand what you're talking about, though, in terms of like a Shonen Jump series. It feels like it kind of needs to have the, this is what we're kind of going towards sort of thing. Um, but at the same time, the stuff that we've gotten, I've liked. So, I see the point of nothing really makes me want more. So Yeah, I think it, it's not that it necessarily has to have a Christmas bowl, but it's at the point right now where I feel like everything's kind of already been addressed. The only thing to do is, I guess, dig more into the fact that he has sort of like a tough... Like, um, to basically explain it, in cross-manage, it was a big thing that the main... The, you know, the main lead girl. I'm sorry, I'm really far removed from that series. I don't remember the characters' names off the top of my head. Uh, she had this wild pass, and she couldn't control it, and she had her teammate, who was stupidly strong... Sorry, she was the one who had the wild pass, because she, she was stupidly strong, but she couldn't aim her pass all the way correctly. And, you know, the other girl who was super energetic wanted to be able to do it, but she needed that play to work. And that's something that they kind of had to build to... And they got to what, like, you know, at the end of the series, they connected that pass finally. Here, it's like, we've been established that Akira has this ability to communicate with Soshi in a way that she respects his speed enough to create a perfect pass for him. And they do it, and they connect, and they score a goal. And it's like, alright, so the third chapter's happened, and that's just been handled. They got teamwork on fucking lockdown already. And I'm just like, I just don't know what you do to build upon this that isn't just going to make this like, uh, you know, um, uh, Yatsuba or whatever, where it's just like you come to this to just enjoy life for 19 chap, like 19 pages and then go on with your life. Hmm. Okay. All right. Let's jump into We Never Learned question 19. A genius and X take the weather for granted. So. This is actually kind of interesting to me, because you mentioned it last week, and we're we're seeing it really come into effect here. Furuhashi seems to have abandoned the game for uh, Uega's heart, or at least maybe never has fully immersed herself in it. Was ever, I don't think she was ever playing for it, Chris. <laughs> yeah, it, it's just, it's very interesting, because we've, we've gotten to this point now where it feels like she's the third girl who came in at some point later on, as opposed to Takamoto, because it's now all basically about Takamoto... And Ogata, who have kind of recognized they have feelings for Uega, but can't, uh, can't kind of come to grips with them or anything like that. They, they still think that he kind of likes somebody else. So that's kind of a big portion of it. You know, Furuhashi explains to Uega, like, hey, they're girls. They have this psychology. You have to read their emotions and gotta take that into consideration about things. And Uega is just like, mm-hmm. yes, girls, I get it. I could do this. And you're like, no, you can't. You're a fucking. <laughs> <laughs> fucking loser, you're not gonna get this. Him and June need to get together. <laughs> yeah. They make perfect, they make the perfect, like, uh, comparison to one another. 
Every time Yoega tries to explain something, June's like, let's go punch rocks together. And he's like, I don't want to punch rocks. Is there a way you can do that by studying? <laughs> can I study the gro- rocks away? And then, and then, you know, like, like, uh, Aruka and Rizu and Tomo, like, come across, come, come around in bikinis and they're just kind of like, oh, where do I look? I, I don't, what's going on? <laughs> Uh, so Takamoto shows up and she has her blouse unbuttoned an extra button and she's got her skirt hiked up a little bit higher and it's all at the request of her two friends who are basically like, girl, go for it. <laughs> and they sort I'm of- I'm something, by the way, about Uruga recently. It seems as though there is like a real- because you noted about how it's like you know, p- pulling out the wedgie thing. It just like it's every single time she wears a swimsuit, she gets a wedgie. Like it just a constant thing. Yeah. Does does this girl's swimsuit not fit her properly? Does she need a new one? Like. <laughs> uh, I mean, I guess maybe that's just the way it works. I don't know. I don't. I haven't wear, worn a lot of one piece swimsuits in that way, so I don't know how the physics on it works. Maybe she just swims so fast it just goes, I don't know. The buttocks muscles are constantly in flux, and thus as that, it, uh, what was the line Christy Hemme said when she ate that pie with her butt, and she was like, my panties are hungry, or no, my, my butt's so hungry from munching on these panties. <laughs> the diva search was a very weird time for the WWE, Nick. <laughs> a woman ate a pie with her butt. <laughs> Didn't she also call someone a cum-guzzling gutter slut at some point? <laughs> I wouldn't be shocked. <laughs> so yes, probably. Anyways, so she shows up and basically it's like, hey, can I walk home with you? And there's a tension there because she's doing this to be uh, like, hey, I'm going to be more overt and try to push out there that I want this. But because of Hashi's recommendation, Yuega's like, oh, I should keep my distance because I don't want to like... I don't want to, like, send any mixed signals to her or anything like that. So, basically, like, she tries to get close to him, then he just shifts the other way, and they just keep doing it to the point where, like, people are walking down the street and see them passing by, like, just, I guess, constantly, like, getting closer and then moving away from each other, like they're dancing down the street or something. It's like, it's like they're kind of speed walking together, almost. Yeah, and they end up uh, winding up at the shrine. They got lost. And you look at it, and it's a shrine dedicated to success in accident, academic scholarship and the fruition of romantic love. And of course, Yuega's like, cover, <laughs> just gotta cover all the young people worries, basically. Yeah, and Yuega's like, academic scholarship! And of course, uh, Takamata's is like, romantic love! So they go up there to, uh, do their prayers, and Yuega just comments how she's praying really hard, so she must really want to get better at studying, more or less. <laughs> uh, Takamoto, it starts to rain, so they have to stay there. Takamoto kind of, like, lays down. She's like, oh, I was kind of praying for to make my crush's heart race, and I forgot about everything else. And she kind of, like, lays there defensively for a little bit. Uh, and Yuega's like, oh, I can't look at her. That that would be improper. You know, she has a crush and everything like that. So, oh, man. And she's just there thinking, like, damn it, your plan's not working. I'm pretending to be, like, defenseless and, you know, sensual, and he's not doing anything. <laughs> and then she starts feeling like, tongues licking her, and she's like, oh, oh, Yuega, this is too much too soon! And she, like, opens her eyes, and it's just a bunch of cats that are licking the shit out of her. What a weird <laughs> joke. I don't, I think what's funny to me is the cats have these really, like, cartoonish faces, and, like, like, they're saying things almost like, feed us, we're hungry! <laughs> it's like, wait, was she just being licked by feral cats, and Yuega didn't do anything to stop it? 
Well, I guess because he's not looking at her, I guess is the thing. But also realize that there are three cats swarming over her. And so her imagination, because she was closing her eyes and pretending to be asleep, led her to believe that there were three Uigas licking her in different places. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. In her fucking hormone-driven mind, I'm sure she's like, of course there's three Uigas licking me all over. That's how sensual this is. That's that's what a god in bed this guy must be. <laughs> yeah. So they're heading down the, the path later, and Uigas, of course, all tired because he's a... He's a boy who doesn't get much exercise. And talks, yeah, Takamoto is just like, ah, I failed. This didn't work. Uh, but Uega's like, so, uh, hey, can you, can you button up? Your boobs are out and I can see them. And she notes that his heart is racing. And he says, like, hey, you know, it's nothing. It's just like, you should save that kind of thing for the guy you like. And she's like, yeah, okay. And she goes home happy with the notion of, like, hey, this worked out. I can tell he does see me as, like, a woman. He does see me as somebody he could, like, he was, you know, his heart was racing at that. So she has some confidence. And she goes back to class, and her friends are just like, we should hike your skirt up another three centimeters. It's like, <laughs> what? <laughs> that shit was barely, like, covered anything as it was. But her score did go up as a result. Damn. That was ominous. Lion oh, capital of the world. I wish I'd had a more, like, epic line that that happened over. But she's happy. <laughs> oh. Yeah. She's happy, though, and her score went Jesus up as a result. Still going. <laughs> if Gullah Gullah Island taught me anything, Nick, you had to wait for the flash to go, then start counting. And that lets you know how far away the thunder is. Gullah Gullah Island taught me many lessons. So, yeah. Uh, it seemed as though... There is going to be some resolution over this whole fallout of them finding out that Yuiga has a girlfriend slash kissed a girl slash all this other stuff. So I would assume that next week we're probably going to get the Ogata part of that. That would make sense. But this is a really nice chapter. Uh, Uruka, I'm liking more and more as this, as this series goes on. And yeah, like you said, it does seem as though Fimeo is being kind of like taken out of this love triangle thing almost entirely. Yeah, is, like she's moved into just the uh, Rory role of like... Yeah. I mean, I, I, I like the way that this all, that this chapter uh, went down and... Uh, um, yeah. I wonder if it was sort of like an editorial decision to do this, though. Like, because you know Takamoto... You know, it's like Takamoto came in essentially like immediately into things. Like it was like chapter Pretty four much. or something like that she came in. So I have to wonder if it was like, hey... I like this idea you have, but I'm just not feeling it as much. Like, you know, Fumino doesn't work for me. Why don't we put someone in there who's a bit more aggressive in things? I actually think that it might be the opposite case. Okay. I think that maybe the idea was to have Uruka and Ogata from the beginning, you know, have like a sporty girl and a nerdy girl. But then they were like, uh, maybe if we play around more with the idea of going after things that aren't their specialties. And so you then we could have, you know, an English, uh, spe- a humanity, uh, humanity specialist who wants to do science instead of this sporty girl. Okay. I keep the sporty girl and have her be the third girl. Sure. Why not? Okay. Chapter three. <laughs> <laughs> and then fuck it. She's just going to be the second girl after a while. I don't know. Maybe we'll eventually find out more about that, uh, how that worked out. Anyway, 
Let's go over to the Promised Neverland, Chapter 44, The Girl in the Hood. Uh, last time a girl in the hood showed up, uh, trying to beckon, uh, Emma's group to, uh, come with her. And we pick up there, because Emma's still basically passed out from blood loss. She starts to lead them in a certain way, beckoning them to follow her. Gilda expresses suspicion, of course, because she's like, hey, you know, who are you and why are you here? What, what are you? Should, why, why don't you show us your face? Uh, but before we really see anything, except for the fact that the girl in the hood smirks and is, we get away from that. And honestly, there's not a whole lot to the rest of the chapter. It's much more of an action uh, sequence as Ray is trying to get away from the pursuers. Um, and you know, he's quickly analyzing what to do, how to, what paths to take through the woods and stuff. And, uh, he's thinking back to, uh, you know, his time playing chess against, uh, against, uh, Isabella. And he's, you know, thinking like, oh man, this, you know, no matter what I do, I, it seems like I'm getting outmaneuvered. It's like playing chess against her. I, I, but I can't stop. I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to give up. And I'm definitely not going to die. And it eventually ends with him just in a clearing surrounded by six of the, of the wolf-like demons. He's like, God damn it. There's got to be something I do. I've got to live. I've got to survive. One of the humanoid ones, uh, looks down on him and says, it's over. You need to give up now. You've put up a good fight, but it's over. Uh, Ray stumbles and trips trying to get away. And he's like, ah, no, I've got to keep moving. I've got to do this. I've got to protect them. I've got to protect everyone and everyone. And I'll never give up! And I know I should have played dragon chess instead of regular chess. It's so much more interesting with three different levels. You have to manage a flying stage and a ground stage, as well as a subterranean stage. It's so much more intricate. God. It's, it, this is nothing like when I beat Spock in three-dimensional chess. <laughs> I I was the one who actually invented that 3D hologram chess they used in Star Wars. Chewbacca was using a rookie maneuver. That's why he <laughs> lost. I would never let the lucky win. Oh, hey, somebody on horseback picked me up. <laughs> oh, thank goodness, I'm not dead. Every memory survive. Like, that's that's what they hear in the distance as he's going on. He's like, my every memory saved me yet again. Everyone's like, no, it, no, they didn't. Clearly someone on a horse saved you. Uh, it's uh, another cloaked figure. I don't think it's supposed to be the same cloaked woman. At least no, I don't think. this definitely looks to be an adult of some fashion. Like, he looks uh, to be a full-sized. And uh, they're carrying a spear and riding around on this horse-like demon as uh, they just swoop by and carry Ray off by the scruff of his neck, almost. Yeah. Okay. I, I, you know, yeah. it, it's been tough to say a whole lot about The Promised Neverland recently, but uh, I'm okay with it. It's It's been okay. Let's just see what the, the resolution of all this is, more or less. What is this leading to is really all it comes down to. And, um, and it hasn't been exceptional, especially in comparison to the stuff that we had, before, you know, in the end of the previous arc and everything like that. I'm really waiting for things to kind of keep get going again. Anyway, uh, we don't have seven deadly sins this week. Uh, there's nothing posted to Crunchyroll, so we don't have anything to talk about there. And we also don't have any One Piece this week. So we're just going to conclude on Black Clover. Uh, it's the end of the first round, uh, not the first round, rather, but the first match in the team competition. <laughs> team competition! There you go. 
Mimosa and Asta are surrounded. Uh, Asta is paralyzed, and uh, three different magic attacks are rushing in towards them from three different directions. Mimosa's gotten a way to block them. Everyone's like, oh my god, they're gonna get killed! And then suddenly three magic circles appear, intercepting all three attacks, absorbing them, and blasting them back. Um, pretty I, awesome, actually. <laughs> I love the king's face in this. It's just, ah! Like, he doesn't say anything, but this dude's reactions every time is 120% crazy. It's This dude has no control. Well, the Wizard King right next to him is freaking out, too. Like, oh! well, yeah, well, we've we've seen he's like this, like, otaku for cool-looking magic and shit. I just love seeing the king has no control over himself. He's always like, oh, my God! Like, he's not saying anything, but you know that's what he's saying. You're kind of waiting for him to foam at the mouth like that one character in Avatar The Last Airbender, <laughs> which you're not familiar with. But. I know the gif. And uh, also, I do like the little touch where, as the magic circles pop up, uh, we get that little shot of uh, Zerk's uh, his eyes opening from his nap. And uh, so the magic gets blasted back uh, at uh, their three opponents, and uh, when the dust settles, Zerk's gets up, and he's like, ah, well, that worked. And uh, he just kind of strolls out, goes to the rock magic user uh, as all them, all three of them are laid out. The crystal is only barely protected. And he's like, oh, hey, I thought that I would actually be able to break the crystal while I was at it, but you managed to keep the crystal intact and you're still conscious, so good job. Although it looks like you guys are on your last legs. Anyway, just steps on his head. <laughs> I like how he says it. He's like, well, of course I should take the shortest path possible to the crystal. It just happens to walk over your face. <laughs> And the guy is like, I'll never let someone as innocent as you. And Zerk just says, yeah, and guess who you lost to? Me. (laughs) And he says, you're short on imagination when it comes to unknown magic. Magic knights have to consider every possibility when they fight you, moron. People could win by getting all fired up and launching monster-sized spells. Life would be easy. Anyone who loses to me doesn't deserve to be called a magic knight. Um, And... Ash kind of is surrounding him as he goes on this tirade against the guy and most recognizes, hey, if it's Ash magic, then that means he's actually the guy who used the trap spell earlier that got Asta. Uh, and uh, there's a very weird kind of moment because Zerg stands in the guy's head and he's like, this is game over, so try again some other time, maggots. Actually, no, I'm not here to win. I'm here for another reason. The guy's like, what do you mean? So, like, <laughs> <laughs> it is like a, a weird sequence of events. He's like, time to lose your crystal. Nah, I'm not actually going to do it. He's like, I did, boom! It's just like, what was... <laughs> it was a real roller coaster of emotions to a page. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um. So all the spectators are like, that was really weird magic that the guy was using. Yeah, he's like absorbed his opponent's magic that powered them up and sent them back. And the king is like, I don't really get it, but that was amazing. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it was incredible. I'm like, hold on, his face needs to be growing. Oh, it's amazing! Like it's like, <laughs> like, amazing! like you know those shitty fucking like meme videos that Truth did for a while, Truth.com, when they were trying to be like, if you lose. 
if you smoke, you're going to lose all the cool cat videos on the internet. And it was just loud noises and fucking like, if it's going, I assume that's what goes on behind the king at all times. Cause he's got to have that like over the top reaction. Like, there's always like, as he's talking in the background, for some reason, like a cat riding a Roomba with like the fucking, uh, like Skrillex music playing behind him and shit. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so Zerks goes back over to Mimosa and Asta, and he's like, "Hey, good team play. You go, you were a great lure." <laughs> so Asta, of course, is pissed off with the guy. He grabs him by the collar, and he's like, "What the hell is up with you? Why would you do that to another Magic Knight? The other team was amazing too." Okay, and Zerks is just like, "Whatever. They lost. Our teamwork beat theirs. So be happy about that." And Asta's like. What the fuck do you mean, Seawork? You, you, your magic was that trap that I stepped into, which is bizarrely insightful for us, actually. <laughs> and Zerg's so just like, hey, I used, I set a trap. I used you as a lure. Uh, and, and what is it? If he says, you know what they say, if you want to fool your enemies, first fool your friends. And he basically, Ash magic comes out of his collar. It's kind of like, you know... The Mr. Fuji's pocket full of sand. <laughs> or, or like, this the squirty flower kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Like, so it goes in Asta's eyes, and he's just like... <laughs> I do love that exchange. Like, he's just like, I have the shittiest, like, most heel tactic just built into my collar just for people who annoy me like you who try to get aggressive on me. Mimosa analyzes the guy's abilities and says uh, he probably seals magic effects and objects to terrain by drawing magic circles and then uses certain conditions to activate them. I have no idea how he drew that circle that Asa stepped into without it removing from the starting point. But okay. Um, so he had a trap earlier set up and he also had a counter trap spell that sent back the magic back with its speed and force doubled. And then he set up a continuous trap so that he could... No, sorry. I saw counter trap and yeah. Actually, but, I was, was kind of curious about this. Is this something that's been established and I just kind of forgot that, like, there's a side of magic outside of whatever your chosen book specialty is that you could just access? Because it's not as though, like, they say, like, Ash magic is inherently a trap magic or something like that. It seems as though he created mm-hmm. traps. Like the like the paralyzation one seemed to be something that fit with the ash theme, but it doesn't seem like there was any ash element at all to the reflection magic. So is I that really something that anyone like, could I potentially this, do? I think that's something that is deliberately going only partially explained so far. You know, because Mimosa says like, "Hey, you know, you cast a really powerful trap spell back there, and that must have taken a tremendous amount of mana and time." When did you set it up? Because you were asleep the whole time. And Xerxes is just like, that's my secret. Men must be mysterious. So there is still something that we don't know about this as to how he set this up. In terms of the whole circles thing, it's, uh, we, because we have seen, you know, like summoning circles or, well, they're not really summoning circles, uh, yet, but we have seen magic circles used, but it is something that hasn't been a very common thing up to this point, Black Clover. Yeah. And then Annalise brought, brings up a point. There are things like mana skin and uh, mm-hmm. flying with brooms that are universal sort of traits with them. Right. 
Anyway, Asta's still obviously pissed off about Zerks. He's shouting about it. He's like, you should tell us everything! Everything! <laughs> uh, anyway, the next team competition, round of the team competition is happening. Uh, Magna and Sol are, are having to team up as we established earlier. Sol refers to him as Funglassinquent because she is abbreviating Funny Glasses Delinquent. Anyway. All right. <laughs> uh, and they are having to team up with Kirsch Vermillion, who is Mimosa's older brother. And he's like, you are not beautiful. Do not mar my beauty. So. Nick, please. I get he may not be a big deal now, but sometime later his, his time will run up, but they'll, he'll get like a revitalization when he teams up with Fandango and forms the fashion police and we get like a new comedic revelation for the character. We realize there's a lot of talent here that just was kind of underutilized originally. What do you mean? Well, what do you mean will realize? I always knew Tyler Breach was awesome. <laughs> Don't rub me in with you. <laughs> Smark. Should have been an NXT champion. <laughs> Should have. Great. He was very awesome. Uh, it's, uh, I dig what we're getting out of Zerks. There's mm-hmm. a unique kind of element to him that I find interesting. I'm curious if, like, we're going to get every round of this. I imagine we probably won't, because there's a lot of matchups that seems like there was very, like, only tangentially interesting people involved in the team. But I'm kind of, I, I am kind of, like, interested to see what this is, like, going to get into. I'm very pleased by this chapter because we're getting more of, like, Xerxes' philosophy, or fake Xerxes, I should, I guess I should clarify philosophy in all of this. And you get more and more of the feeling that this isn't a guy that's just going to show up for one arc and then just go away forever. Uh, he might, he might be a villain. He might be an ally. We don't really know yet, but he seems like a guy who's going to actually stick around for a while because we're getting to know him more than instead of just, you know, throwing him into a fight and then he loses that fight and bye. So, mm-hmm. um, but that's it. Uh, so uh, I guess we'll wrap up with uh, naming our favorites for this week, MVPs and favorite series. Uh, yeah. So, man, favorite chapter is tough. I'll start off. Yeah. Uh, my favorite was shoot on this week. Uh, I really liked the chapter. Uh, it was th- these last two weeks. Shut up, Chris. <laughs> no, I just I immediately like I should just piss off Jeff again by being like shoot out was okay, but we never learned it was really the top this week. <laughs> It was a good chapter, but uh, I, I want to shoot on. I mean, like I, the first time that I read through it, I went through. I was like, "Geez, that was just really good." Um, but I just had a really raw kind of emotional reaction to it. And it was, you know, the way that they it was funny at the beginning, and it was really emotional and satisfying at the end. And then the very, very end had that unexpected uh, little interaction between uh, Akira and uh, and Soshi. Uh, so dug it. I could, I could dig that. I could dig that. Um, if we never learn now, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, uh, My Hair Academia. I, I really think this is, uh, an intriguing chapter with a lot of promise to it. I like that we're kind of getting into one fat gum who's kind of been building himself more and more up to be like a really interesting mentor kind of character. And I also like that we're getting back into Kirishima again. It doesn't feel like he's just gonna be like this side character floating around with interest. They're really putting him into a more significant role. So I'm, I'm really interested to see what they kind of do with that. And uh MVP, uh Rindo. Yeah, it's Rindo. Rindo Rindo. 
Got awesome. a lot of focus. It was great. So that is it. Uh, we'd like to thank you guys for joining us. We tend to do normally record weekly manga recap Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time here at smashcast.tv slash and twitch.tv slash But sometimes we need to change things up, uh, start a little bit later, maybe even record at a different time. And uh, you can stay updated on all that stuff by following us on Twitter. At WMR Podcast is the official account for the podcast. You can also follow your hosts at RolloT and at YRollerOfTime. You can also check out our past episodes, weeklymagarecap.podbean.com, youtube.com slash weeklymagarecap, and on iTunes. And uh, if you check out those uh, latter two, make sure to do your, you know, leave a rating, comment, subscribe, all that good stuff. Uh, help us out so that we can beat the woodworkers in the hobby section of the podcasts. Also, be sh- be sure to uh, send a mail to weeklymockerycap.yahoo.com. You can give us feedback. You can ask us questions for a future Q&A episode. And you su- can suggest manga for us to read as well. Uh, oh, right. I have a recommendation. I have to You're do, supposed to do a recommendation, but you can... Well, no, no. I, mean, I, 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 I got it because we're going to have to, so fuck it. Uh, our next recommendation, because it's eventually going to happen, let's just get it out of the way. We're going to do Rave Master. We'll do Rave Master next, so this way we have the time to get through it by the time Fairy Tale comes to a conclusion. So fair enough. Boom. It's good. To, good. Good. Idea. Anyhow, uh, first thanks go out to our Patreon supporters. Your support allows us to create all sorts of bonus content for you guys to enjoy. Uh, we are hopefully going to be having our uh, commentary in the next few days, but also we uh, did uh, our uh, as explained by manga. Uh, discussion for the bonus pod as well. Record yes. that recently. That'll be up hopefully tomorrow. If not, it might go up Friday. I apologize for the delay on it, but I've been very busy with schoolwork, so I just haven't had the time to like sit down and like get the editing process out. But it should be up very, very soon. It's lost, as explained by manga, as Nick gets confusing things explained to him. <laughs> the worst part is like every moment after since then, I've been like, I could have mentioned that. I should have mentioned that. Oh, I should have brought that up as like a, another like way to connect it to manga. I've been very critical of myself, which makes Here sense. Nick reacts to the explanation. Here Nick reacts to the explanation of the flash sideways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In retrospect, I should have gone about that a different way. I feel like I really created a problem with that. Anyways, that'll be it very soon though. It's going to be a really fun episode uh, with a lot of... Uh, fun moments in there. So go check that out when it goes up. And uh, last but not least, uh, check out the guys who help us make the podcast what it is. Uh, Steve Man, our talk artist, does all sorts of stuff in many different locations, honestly. He's, he's got DeviantArt, which is New Rock fanboy. Uh, and uh, he's got his own Patreon. Check that out at patreon.com slash Man, where you can check out the title cards that he has done for the show. Uh, as well as some uh, not safe for work stuff if you become a patron of his. And also Infamous Planet uh, for making the frame that you see on the video edition of the podcast. There's a point in time where I felt safe because, like, well, I don't, I'm not at a job anymore. Like, I don't look at my phone while I'm at, like, my, my grocery store job. So I'm like, I don't have to worry about, like, scoring through Twitter and everyone's seen it. And then I was, like, at school, like, I was in class before it started. And I was about to go on Twitter. I was like, you know what? Steve Mann may have posted something recently. <laughs> I'm just going to put this away. <laughs> I'm just going to chill out here. <laughs> just to be safe. Yeah. That's going to do it, everyone. Uh, so we will see you next time here on Weekly Monica Recap. Yeah? So just a moment ago, I heard something outside my window, and I went I, out there. I, I heard it. Yeah. So there's just a, a note on my window, and it's shaped like a digivice, and it, it just says, you're next on it with a knife through it.
do you think Jeff maybe heard my thoughts about Shudan this week and he's he's uh he's making his his opinion known? I don't know. Maybe Goldberg's just really into Digimon now. <laughs> that would be so awesome. Like Goldberg comes out and he's like in an Agumon cosplay. And he's just like, "You're next, Pepperbrooth." Oh, that's <laughs> okay. You just have to you, you just have to run away from him for about five minutes, and then he'll be done. <laughs> he's so. like, "Oh, whew, so fast!" It's like, you just got up. I'm the just stairs. been lightly jogging. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Ooh, I'm like, weren't you a football player? How is your cardio this bad? You you take breaks after 30 seconds when you play football. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, everybody.